Hey, thanks for tuning on the Uncommon People podcast. This is a show about ordinary people and their extraordinary stories, because I think everybody's lived their own unique lives and has a lot to share from them, a lot worth sharing, and a lot that we can each learn from. So this is me sitting down with regular everyday people and having a conversation. If you think you'd like to do this kind of thing, if you'd be into having this sort of a conversation and letting other people listen to it, please do reach out. My website's joeltimothy.co, and my contact info is up there for you. This is episode number eight, I believe, yeah, eight of the Uncommon People podcast. This is a conversation between me and my friend Devar Sasanga. I hope you listen to the whole thing and get a lot from it. A little note, we did have some technical difficulties with this one, so the first, like, 45 minutes, you won't really hear much of my voice. It's mostly just Devar. But that's fine, because this is about him. So, this is episode 8 again of the Uncommon People podcast, and I hope you listen through and enjoy it. Thank you. I can assure you my wife knows where I am, and she knows that sometimes these podcasts could be upwards of three hours, so... Yeah, she did tell me to, you know, try to, like, speed things up a bit to maybe closer to, you know, or as south to three hours as we could possibly get it, but but she knows where I am. Yeah. If I don't return by tomorrow morning, that's probably when she'll get a little nervous. (laughs) (laughs) That would be really bad. Did you drive the, it's a RAV4, right? Yeah. Do you guys have multiple vehicles or just one? We have multiple, yeah. So she drives a a different car, yeah, and I drive the RAV. <laughs> yeah, partly because it's it's a stick shift, and and my wife Alyssa can't drive stick. I've been meaning to teach her, but we've uh, haven't ha- found the time <laughs> to do that. That's true. Yeah, learning on on an icy road is probably do more damage than good. <laughs> It was it was nice enough to be in a Wrangler, a Jeep Wrangler with no top on it. So nice. It was a good. It was a nice sunny day. Yeah. In the Christchurch parking lot. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, the first. So I, I have taught Alyssa one lesson, and that was one back when I had a uh, Mazda Miata. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So that was a lot of fun, and that stick that 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 stick shift was a lot easier to use. Yeah. Um, than this current RAV. This one's a little, you kind of have to baby a little bit, just a little. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, you that a little bit. yep, yep. I had to, I had to learn. It took me a couple months <laughs> yeah. uh, to get the hang of driving that, the RAV's little stick transmission thing. I don't know what it's called, clutch. Yeah. Yeah. But, so yeah, so she has learned on, in something fun. Well, she had one lesson, but yeah. yeah. And it can be tricky in this area too, especially if you're in Fayetteville a lot and you guys live in Fayetteville. Mm hmm. The hilliest area. Exactly. In this area, yeah. Town. Yep. That, so I think it can be really good. It can be the best place to learn, uh-huh. but also most difficult. Because if you can drive in Fayetteville, you're good. That's true. Yeah. I, I first learned how to drive stick in the crazy streets of Jakarta, Indonesia. Oh, and, wow. and And initially, my dad tried to teach me. And after one day, he gave up. He's not the most patient man when it comes to teaching people how to drive. (laughs) And so he got one of his good friends to teach me. And literally day one of the lesson, he tells me to go straight into the Indonesian main road, which Indonesia a few years ago was rated the worst traffic or the worst traffic in the world or the most heavily congested or, or the worst drivers 
ever i don't know i forgot yeah. yeah they had some they had some sort of scale and they rated indonesian drivers as being one of the worst drivers and it having one of the be- worst uh, amounts of traffic in the world Man. and so yeah, yeah so so my dad gave up on me after one day and got one of his good friends to teach me using my dad's car um and so my dad's friend was the one he was like all right here are the basics um this is first gear this is clutch all that stuff do this do that and literally about an hour later um he told me to drive straight into like head over to the main road because we are doing this and i'm like are you sure? <laughs> He's like, yes, I'm sure. This is how you learn. And, uh, and exactly. And I had to learn pretty quickly because those drivers were, uh, <laughs> unforgiving so to say the least. I thought I was till I, uh, bought that RAV and then realized, I think I've been driving stick the wrong way this entire time. Um, I don't know. I think that what the, what the RAV is teaching me is, is it's, it's emphasizing all of my flaws mm. when I drive a stick. And so if I do something wrong, it's going to let me know or just die. Maybe it's so. That's true. That There's also that. Maybe maybe it's a little bit of both. But I do feel like I'm a better stick driver now than I was before having the RAV. Yeah. <laughs> so you learned in Indonesia. When was this? Cause you, you've been here for most of your life, haven't you? Yes. So... Uh, back and forth, you visit. Well, so I was born in Indonesia. Uh, and when I was two years old, my family moved to the States. Um, and my parents are missionaries and, um, well, I guess my dad was a former Muslim and then turned and then he became a believer and that was a crazy story. Uh, that was basically, if you're familiar with the story of Paul, my dad basically had a similar experience. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I I was born in Indonesia in a little town in central Java and then we moved to Texas when I was two, two years old and lived in Dallas and... By Dallas, like actual Dallas, Dallas. I know like lots of people okay. say they're from Dallas, but yeah. really they're from like Plano or some other suburb or town outside of Dallas. Anyway, um, grew up in Dallas and then we we moved to the Middle East um, and then eventually moved back to, we moved around a lot growing up. Yeah. Um, but eventually I moved back to Indonesia and uh, finished up high school there actually. Okay. Yeah. And so that's where I learned how to drive for the first time and we only had stick shift cars. <laughs> right. yeah, I, yeah. As I understand it, it's much more common everywhere outside of the U.S. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. If you have an automatic car in Indonesia, more likely than not, it means you're wealthy because it's usually only the higher-end vehicles have uh, automatic transmissions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a little pricey. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Indonesian culture in general, I feel like, is very... They're very. It's a. It's almost. It's almost like a show me kind of culture. So it's. It's all about you know what you drive, what you do, how much money you have, what you're wearing, what phone you have, and so like it even bleeds into the cars you're driving. So if you drive a stick, you're just more like a commoner. <laughs> and if you have an automatic, it's like ooh, you got an automatic. That, okay. that means. Uh, I, I'm the reverse here as far as me looking at cars. <laughs> I see a car I like, and I immediately I look in the window. And <laughs> I'm the same way, yeah. Cool. <laughs> I'm the same way, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of that's why I was learning in the streets of Jakarta. Okay. Uh, and what age exactly was that? You were in high school. I was in high school. That was probably so. I learned. I was driving before. I was technically driving illegally before I got a license because like you have to be 17 to get a license in Indonesia. Okay. And, and I think I learned when I was 15 and started driving when I was 15. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I only got caught a couple times. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> so how long was that a more extended trip when you guys moved to Indonesia again? Yeah, so so my dad so we moved to Dallas so that my dad could go to Dallas Theological Seminary. Mm-hmm. Um so it was a few years after he decided to become a believer. Um and that's a crazy story. But essentially that's why we moved to Dallas. Uh and then afterwards after he finished you know uh that part of his life he he wanted to brush up on so, so ultimately my dad he he wanted to be a uh, a missionary um a church planner specifically in Indonesia or to Indonesia and um he used to be a former muslim and so uh, and he used to be very very much deeply um into islam um he was basically a muslim religious leader not an iman but uh on on his way there and he he grew up in a tiny town and he was you know he was very popular very well known and um he was very devout uh and so he at one point in his life he almost memorized the entire quran wow. <laughs> uh, in arabic and so that's kind of how deep he was in it and so he was basically like the 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 muslim version of paul in his in his little town he was very yeah. gung ho yeah. um for islam and um anyway so his when he became when he decided to follow Jesus, uh, he went to seminary and then eventually he went to DTS. But the end goal was always to go back to Indonesia, and start churches and tell people about Jesus there. Um, but he felt like in order to do to do that to be effective there, he needed to brush up on his Arabic. And so because by that point it had been decades since he's had to speak it on a regular basis. So um, is Arabic a commonly spoken language in Indonesia? Well, in order to talk to the religious leaders or the imams. If you if you go to any of the smaller towns or villages outside of the bigger cities, uh, their little town is basically, it's kind of like here in, in Southern America, there's always a church somewhere on the next corner. But it's very much like that in Indonesia, except with uh, mosques and with, with Islam. But you get to the smaller uh, villages and they're basically, um, they're, they're basically dominated by whatever, whoever the iman is, a local iman, and whatever the local, you know, Muslim, I don't know if they have sex or um, denominations, but whatever, yeah, whatever that organization is there. And so in order to talk to the people about Jesus, you'd first have to talk to them usually about Islam and their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to talk about the Quran, you're going to have to read, and, and to have any, in order to talk to them about the Quran, um, you're going to have to know Arabic and be able to read and write or read and understand it in its in its um, original written language, or else you lose all credibility. They're just going to say, "Well, you're reading a translation of Islam. That's not really with Quran because they believe only only the Arabic Quran is the true Quran." Um, and so they're going to basically tell you get out of their living room because you know you don't have a right to talk about Islam, especially the Quran, if you don't know how to read or understand Arabic. Um, and so, yeah, it's not a very commonly spoken language in Indonesia, but if you if you wanted to um, tell people about Jesus, eventually you're going to have to speak to the religious leaders of the community. And if you don't know Arabic, then you can't talk to them about Islam, really, so or the Islam Quran. Is, is that the largest religion there? Is... Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so Indonesia has the, the most um, Muslims in terms of population in the entire world. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's the third most populous nation in the world, 
or fourth, sorry, behind America. And most of them are Muslim. Yeah. And so my dad knew that if he wanted to be effective, an effective church planner in, in Indonesia, he'd have to brush up on his Arabic in order to have any credibility when he talks to religious leaders, especially. Um, and so he knew, and, and he knew he had the skills. It's just, he needed to brush up on it. And so that's why we moved to the Middle East so that my dad could kind of brush up on his Arabic. And before we, before we moved back to Indonesia, essentially. So, yeah. So that was the purpose there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I don't know if I've interacted personally that much with, you know, the missionaries kids. Mm-hmm. I've, I know I, like i must have known someone else whose parents were missionaries um but i've never had like a conversation around that topic uh-huh. it's very interesting to hear what was that like for you to be moving around that much as a kid uh it was really hard i think yeah. um i mean i feel like <laughs> there's like three groups of, of missionary kids they're like the really really weird ones <laughs> Like, if you were to meet them, you knew they were either homeschooled or a missionary kid or both, um, which I think you're homeschooled, right? Yeah, no, yeah. that's not a... <laughs> so, um, right, yeah. Or they, it, they're, they like, very much, like, completely rebellious. Like, some of the worst, like, kids you've ever met in your life are, like, missionary kids. They go on, like, the other side of the spectrum, you know? Um, and then you have, like, all the people that's turned out somewhat normal in the middle. <laughs> Um, and I, I feel like I'm part of that middle category. Yeah. Um, but also it was because, because we moved around a lot and I remember my sister and I, we tried to count how many schools, different schools we've been to. And we got to like, I think we got to like 10 or 12. Mm -hmm. Um, so we moved around a lot. And, um, as a result, I feel like I essentially had to be a chameleon in a sense or to at least learn how to put on different masks Mm -hmm. um because i knew the only way i was going to survive was if i continually made friends and in order to make friends um i quickly realized you know oh there's 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 a secret recipe to make to making people like you um and and so yeah i feel like it was hard and it wasn't hard i was always able to make friends wherever i went um but at the same time, it wasn't until later on that I really, like, really thought about it. Uh, I realized I put on a lot of different masks when I'm around people. Part of that was, um, part of that was watching my parents and also living in um, the home I grew up in. And the home I grew up in wasn't the best or the safest, uh, to, to put it lightly. And. Uh, the hardest part of being an MK was actually growing up in my family. And uh, that primarily had to do with my mother. So, so I'm, I guess I'm going on a tangent a little bit. So yeah, so it was hard, um, but it was also mostly hard because of the family situation. Uh, my mom was not a very, still isn't a very uh, healthy human being mentally. And so, and she was very, I think she was very hurt growing up that she never was able to fully process. And so, you know, what everyone, what they kind of say all the time, you hurt people, hurt people. That was very much my mother. And um, so it was, yeah, it was a very difficult home to grow up in. And it was also weird 
when you're an MK, you, you kind of get to see behind this, this scenes in a sense. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you right now, I didn't give, I, I didn't become a follower of Jesus until college. Uh, and part of that was to me growing up, it was weird because I kind of saw almost to me, it was the hypocrisy of my parents' faith, primarily my mom, because she would, she would be a different person at home. And as soon as we got, you know, it was either a fundraising trip or in, in front of the church or in front of church people or really anyone, our neighbors, she was a completely different person. Uh, she was very likable. You know, she, she made you feel comfortable and she laughed a lot, you know, and, but at home she was a completely different person. It's like night and day. And I can see like the, the, like her putting on a different mask, almost like instantaneous. I could tell like, oh, okay, she's got her fundraising mask on. She's got her relation building mask on, you know, um, and all that stuff. And so I think as a child, I kind of saw that and I was like, okay, that's what you need to do to get people like you. Um, also, it was a very emotionally unsafe place for me to grow up in as a kid. Um, I could, I guess I could talk about that later, but, but I think it, it taught me to really kind of, uh, what's the word? Um, I guess get a more in, intuitive, well, so, so my mother would never tell, she would never tell anyone or us kids w- w- what she was feeling, for example. We would have to infer or, or base it off of her body language, for example, how she said a word. Um, to, to understand, oh, mom, mom is pissed. Why is mom pissed? What did I do? Maybe it was the fact I didn't make my bed. Um, but she, cause she will never tell you. Um, and so I think f- just from growing up with that and having to be around a very emotionally unstable person, uh, I kind of got an intuitive sense of, of understanding people <laughs> and, and their kind of, uh, nonverbal cues so uh, i was going somewhere with this (laughs) but yeah but all that is to say that's that's kind of how i built up this uh i don't want to call it a skill but this uh knack yeah to 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 get people to like me to kind of survive and so that so wherever we moved i kind of knew okay if this person was a sports guy I could. I, I have a lot of information in my brain about sports, so I'll just talk to him about sports. You know, if this person is likes movies. I know a lot of things about movies, so I'll just talk to him about movies, him or her, and and so on and so forth. And I didn't realize I was doing it. Even it came so naturally, like out of me. Yeah. Um. It wasn't until way later that I realized. You know, I don't know who I am. Like I don't know what my base personality is. Like I don't know who the base personality of Devar is. Uh, because I was so used to putting on and switching different masks for different people, different groups, different places. Um, and I was getting a lot of friends, but I wasn't meeting a lot of people who actually knew me. And even more than that, I didn't even know who I was. <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, and that was another thing about growing up in a home with a very, uh, I would probably say emotionally abusive mother, is that you internalize things, um, especially when... I grew up in a in a Christian home, yeah, but I also grew up in an Asian home. And uh, Indonesian culture is very much like other Asian cultures. It's it's a very shame-based culture. Um, the idea is, you know, 
it's not an individualistic culture. You know, you're part of the greater whole. Yep. You're part of the family or uh, part of the country, you know, whatever. And, uh, and so emotions are never talked about and they're actually treated as taboo. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, yeah, you know, you, if you have nothing good to say, you don't say anything, for example. Um, and yeah. And as a result, I forgot where I was going with this. Hmm. I have like so many thoughts in my brain <laughs> uh-huh. that uh, I've never like spoken with like a mic directly in my face before. <laughs> yeah. well, um, most people could say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. Um, but anyway, so all, all that is to say, I, I had to put up a lot of uh, emotional walls or a lot of walls, period. Yeah. And as a result... I felt like I didn't never really got to a chance to really think about who I am um, as a person, just at my most basic level, because I either hide, either had had to hide um, or protect myself emotionally, um, or stuff things in, feelings in, um, or had to put on a mask so that someone would like me because we're moving to another new place. Um, and I needed to make friends quick. And, uh, yeah, I got to a point where yeah, I didn't really, uh, didn't really know who I was. So, Did yeah. the aspect of your parents being missionaries mean much to you as a kid? Did you look at what they were doing and, and what were your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I guess to best answer that, I, I probably should just talk about it from the beginning because it'd make a lot more sense i feel like i kind of i feel like i'm very scattered brained <laughs> um, i'm just kind of like all over the place um so i apologize okay. listeners no apologies on this. <laughs> but you know how everyone has like a first memory like or maybe a lot maybe not everyone many people can, can think of like that very first memory like your first memory you ever had like the longest or the oldest memory that you can remember the first thing you can remember Oh, well, for me, one of my first memories, or I guess my second memory, because my first memory, I was like two years old on a fence throwing berries at someone. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I guess my second memory, oldest memory that I can remember is hiding underneath the bed and I was crying. I think I was maybe four years old, three, four years old, and I was crying. I remember feeling terrified and I remember feeling terrified that my mom was going to find me. And sure enough, she did, because I was hiding underneath the bed, and I was still crying. Um, and she dragged me out, and uh, she took a, a hanger, one of those metal hangers, and she was hitting me with it repeatedly. And I was begging her to stop, but she wouldn't stop. She just kept she just kept hitting me. And she kept saying, you know, um, God loves obedient kids. Um, God hates disobedient children. And that's the f- first time that I, the earliest memory that I have of, of hearing the name of God uttered was that memory. That's the first time I ever heard the God uttered out loud was that memory. And that pretty much set the stage of what I thought about God for most of my life. Um, you know, he was a God that, that demanded strict obedience. He was a God of punishment. Either you do this or you're, or you're dead kind of thing. Um, 
and then you know as i i remember like i I was a little bit older and um my mom was teaching me how to read and every time i would get a word wrong um or or read it wrong or or wrote it down wrong or misspelled it uh, she would hit me with with the hanger and she would say you know god hates dumb kids i mean god only loves uh, smart children and that set the stage for me for the rest of my life, for, for the rest of my academic life. Um, I always got good grades growing up, but now I realize it was probably because of that moment. And that, again, set the stage for who I was taught God was. God was a vengeful God. God was also a God that demanded perfection or else. Um, you're, you either had to be perfect or you were gone. You're going to hell. Um, and so... And then I remember when I was, I think, five years old in kindergarten, my first crush was uh, a girl named Alexandria. <laughs> name. Name Alexandria. <laughs> um, I have no idea where she is now. I remember her name, though, and I vaguely remember what she looked like. Um, she was my first kiss. As wow. a five, I don't, I don't know if it counts when you're five. But well, I remember. Somehow, I remember, I wasn't supposed to, but I, I, I saw an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie somehow. I think... Yeah, you definitely would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I th- I, maybe I was at a friend's house or something, or my dad was watching it, and he didn't know I was watching or something. Uh, but I watched an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, and in the movie, you know, he gets the damsel, he gets the lady, yeah. like, you know, gets his hands around her face and, like, gives her a big kiss. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, so that's what you do with, with people that you like. <laughs> so I remember, I remember Alexandria, Alexandria, age five. We were on the bus going, going, going home, getting dropped off at home after school. And I remember thinking, man, I really like this girl. And that's when I remembered Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was like, I have to tell her that I like her. And apparently, this is how you tell girls that you like them. And so I turned. We were sitting next to each other on the bus, and I turned to, to face her, and I cupped my hands <laughs> around her face, and like turned her head so that because she was looking away from me, so I turned her head so that we were both, you know, looking eye to eye. And, and without saying a word, I just gave her a, a big old kiss. Wow. And then, and then, and then I kissed her for a split second. I moved away. My hands were still cupping her face. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, all right, didn't say not not a word, and um, she seemed to like it. And so obviously you're like, okay, cool, this girl likes me, I like her. Apparently we're supposed to just keep kissing, so I just kept kissing her, <laughs> and she kept letting me. I don't. And so I'm, our, our teacher in, our, in at the in the bus turns around and was like, hey kids, like she broke us up. She was like, hey, you're not supposed to do that. And I'm like, why? I like her. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> and I, I don't I forgot what my teacher said, but apparently it was wasn't significant enough to remember because she turned around. Um anyway, I was ecstatic because Alexandria let me kiss her on the bus on the way home. And I remember um like running out of you know, running out of the bus. I like I, I needed to tell someone. You know, like when you have that great piece of news, like you, you, you gotta tell somebody. Yeah, yeah. And the only one at home was my mom. And even at that age, age five, um, I knew that she wasn't a safe person. Um, so I knew that I couldn't tell her that I just kissed Alexandria on the bus or else I was going to get a butt whooping. Um, and and so I remember going to the living room or going inside into the house and my mom was there and, and I was like, Mom, what if there was a boy <laughs> and he really liked a girl and so he kissed her? 
and it made him really happy. You know, what was what, what if that happened? Um, you know, and my mom immediately goes off on me and she was like, you know, that person is a demon child. Um, that is, uh, yeah, that person is sinful. They're going to hell. You know, it was just shame. Just like, and I wasn't even talking about myself. You know, I was this hypothetical what if person. And yet it felt like, I remember it felt like getting hit by a bus. And I remember feeling super sad and, and full of shame. And um, I remember walking into the living room. And I remember this very clearly. I remember looking out into the street and seeing all the cars go by. And I told myself, this is the last time I will ever tell my parents anything about me. And for the next almost 20 years, that was it. I, I never told them anything else about me. Um, that was the last time that I ever, that was a, that was for almost two decades that I ever got that, um, vulnerable with my parents, especially my mom. Um, but that also set me up again, this idea of who is God, you know, God was someone who, you know, hates it when, when a guy kisses a girl, he hates it when like, if you like someone that is wrong, that is a sinful thing. Um, and, and, and it made me that that's a, I can remember very, that was the first time I could really remember starting to put those mental walls up in my life, um, was staring out the living room window, telling myself verbally that that's the last time I'll tell my parents anything about myself. Um, that is also around the time where I really struggled with lust for the, for also the next two decades, you know, surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, it, it was a, and it, I mean, it was the perfect recipe for disaster um, in terms of lust. Yeah. And um, and, apparent, and obviously I, was, I, I hate it, you know, because it's like, well, obviously it's disgusting um, and it's wrong to have these thoughts. And so that basically set the stage for how I viewed God for, um, well, I guess until I gave my life to Jesus. <laughs> um, but that also set the stage for how I viewed not just God, but Christianity and my parents as a whole. Um, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was rough growing up with my mom and in, in that household, but I felt like everything, their whole life kind of was a, um, a, uh, what's the word? Um, I just had it in my brain and then it was just, poof, it's gone. I guess further validation that what I believed about God was correct. I, I really felt like my parents were hypocrites. Uh, like I said before, you know, my mom had faces as well. You know, if we were going to church, she puts on her church face. If we were going to to fundraise, and my dad had to fundraise, we'd put on she'd put on the fundraising face. Um, but at home, it was it was a different person altogether. And so that's that was like, oh, okay. So Christianity is just putting faces on, is making sure everyone sees only the, your best face. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you know, and my dad wasn't perfect as well. You know, they they fought a lot. He was an imperfect man. He was very impatient. Uh, when he was younger, and he was also part of the reason why my mom ended up the way that she was. Um, and so, uh, you know, my mom had a lot of dreams growing up, and which is why, you know, I feel like it's the most important thing to figure out when you are dating someone is do your vision align, your your vision for the future. Because my parents, their vision did not align, and for some reason they never talked about it before they got married. You know, my mom wanted to start a women's ministry and a radio ministry and a student's ministry and and all this stuff. And my dad, his vision for my mom is just to be a stay-at-home mom. And so I think my mom 
lost that sense of freedom and purpose. And she only had control over what she was given control over, in that case, her children. So she became a control freak. Um, but anyway, so my dad had, had a hand in it, and uh, he wasn't perfect. Um, and so, yeah, so it was, it, was, it, was, it was really weird getting to see it. And I was a very quiet kid. As a result of all that happened at age, up to age five or six or whatever, um, I became very withdrawn. I was a very withdrawn kid, which was, to my mom, that was a sign that I was an obedient, perfect child. You know? um, so I have an older sister, and she's very much not like me in a lot of ways. She's very outgoing. Um, she's a huge feeler, huge feeler, um, which is great. I love Shelly. Shelly ever listens to this, like, she's a huge part of my testimony, too. Like, I absolutely love my sister. I don't know how she got the way she, that she did or she got did got yeah i don't know how she became the person she is today growing up in in our family mm-hmm. absolutely amazing total 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 grace um but but my sister like she needs to process things you know emotionally um and and to my mom that looks like talking back so my mom thought my sister was the absolute worst child and i was the absolute best child even though emotionally speaking i was probably doing a lot worse than my sister was um because I was dead quiet. And so, yeah, anyway. So, yeah, I guess being an MK was mostly, eh, I mean, there were some good moments, but it was, it was a lot of negative moments. It was, it was, it was hard. Um, yeah. yeah, being an MK is very hard. And I mean, it makes sense if you think about it. You know, it, you're going out to tell people about Jesus, obviously, your public enemy number one in terms of all the demons and Satan out there, you know. Um, and so it makes sense that he would try especially hard to get you. And uh, anyway, so yeah, so I forgot your original question. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was growing up as a missionary kid. Yeah, I, I always thought that my parents were hypocrites and that this was all a sham to get money. Uh, I actually never really respected my dad until I became a, a believer, an actual believer, because I always just thought like, why on earth you could have done anything else with your life, but you're, you chose to drag your family halfway across the world, you know, in poverty. We never, we always had too little money. <laughs> uh, for what? For this God that like, I don't really, I don't even, I question his existence <laughs> a little bit, you know, it, it all felt like a really big sham to me, um, and it didn't help that I felt like they were always putting on faces, you know, to get people to give them money or, or to be nice to them, I don't know, uh, and so it wasn't until I actually became a believer for me to actually really respect my father, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, so it was hard, yeah, the moving was hard. In general, it was it was hard being an MK. You you do feel like you're on a pedestal, that everyone expects you to be perfect, because um, you're the the son of a missionary or whatever, yeah. the children of missionaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, where in reality, we were we were definitely far from perfect. But yeah. again, you'd have to put on your face. Mm-hmm. You can't let people know, uh, and so, so yeah, so it was hard. Was that a big adjustment then? When you did you move here back to go to school mm-hmm. specifically? Yeah. Was that your first time being out on your own away from your parents? Yes. 
So was that a big adjustment for you? Did, did you feel like you had to unlearn a bunch of stuff about, I guess, you, you were in a different survival situation now. Mm-hmm. You're not, I guess, in that, uh, the hospital environment that you were used to. Did that require a lot of deliberate adjustment? Yes. Yeah, and again, it... I really kind of have to tell my testimony for it to really make sense. Hopefully I can make it make sense. I still feel like I'm scattered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In short, it was a huge shock to my system. I felt like, I feel like my collegiate journey can be summarized as me unlearning everything and then processing everything and then getting wrecked and being an emotional wreck, and then towards the end, starting to, to put the pieces back together again. <laughs> well, we've definitely um, got to unpack all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so like I said, so it was it was, it was hard growing up. Uh, and yeah, my mom is, is not a, a healthy person. And uh, so, and I'm not saying we were the perfect children. <laughs> definitely weren't. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, but there would be a lot of weird things. So obviously growing up, that was the only reality I knew. I just thought all parents were like this. This is just kind of the reality of growing up. You know, you just, it's just, it always felt a little unusual. Like I always had a feeling that the house I grew up in was abnormal um, in a bad way, but I had nothing else to compare it to. I've never lived any under, mm-hmm. under anyone else's yeah, parenthood. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, so she would do a lot of weird things. Um, she installed a bell system in our house once. A bell system so that she'd ring the bell whenever she needed me. Um, and and so if like, if, and she would also do weird things like she, she'd like get dinner ready and prepare the food on the, on the dinner table. And she would wait there to see if we remember to pray on our own. And if we didn't, she would take our food and she would lecture us at us, to us, lecture us for a couple hours and then send us up to our bedrooms without any food. Um, and then she installed a bell system so that every time, so she didn't have to call us by name anymore. She just rings the bell and we have to learn, almost like Pavlov's dog, we had to learn to go to her as soon as we hear that bell um, or else there'll be hell to pay. And I kid you not, it wasn't until the second year of college when I stopped hearing those bells ringing. Um, I moved to college and almost on a daily basis, I would hear those bells and the same like response, like, you know, my, 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 um, my heart rate would increase. I would immediately think, Oh shoot, I need to, I need to, I need to go to my mom. Where, where is she? And then that's when I would realize I am in Dallas, Texas. I am a 19 year old college student and my mom is very far away from me. <laughs> but anyway, so, so little things like that. And eventually I got to, to high school. And that's kind of, or I guess junior high, junior high, high school. And that's when I really started to realize that, wait a minute, the way that my mom is and the way that other kids' parents are is completely different. Because um, before then, you know, I, I would rarely, I, I, maybe I've been on a couple slumber parties, maybe, maybe one or two. But I didn't really think about it very much well, until junior high and high school. That's kind of where the rebellious year started. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as they do, yeah. And that's kind of when I realized my friend's parents, my friend's mom's moms are not like my mom. Holy crap, my mom is the issue. 
I remember as, you know, a 14, 15 year old thinking, this sucks. This is unfair. Like coming to that realization that, that at the end of the day, my mom was the one that was robbing me of a life. You know, again, the teenage angst and rebelliousness. Anyway, um, she was the problem. Like, this is not normal. What she's doing is not normal. And so at that time, I took the approach of, okay, I'm going to go out in full rebellion mode. If she's not going to give me my freedom, then I'm going to take my freedom. <laughs> um, and and so that's kind of where, you know, I, you know, did things I wasn't supposed to and hang out with people I wasn't supposed to and um, had secret girlfriends. <laughs> um, and it, it finally came to a crashing head. I think I was 17, 17 or 18, maybe I was a senior, going to my senior year in high school. This was in Indonesia. I... Uh, Took my my dad's beloved car SUV that he loved, first car he's ever bought brand new, um, to pick up a girl I wasn't supposed to date um, or see, and proceeded to crash his car on the highway. Man. Yeah, um, so that was bad. So after that, I was under full lockdown. Um, Imagine, yeah. yeah, and and even and so that was kind of the last straw. That was rock bottom. There was lots of things that happened before that, uh, and. But that was basically, I think, rock bottom point. That was when under I was under full lockdown. Um, I was not allowed. I remember in high school, I would do all of the after-school programs that I could so that I wouldn't go home. Um, yeah. And so I joined every club that I could. You know, the, the drama club, um, the soccer team, the basketball team, anything I could get my hands on so that I wouldn't have to go home. And that all got taken away when I you know, wrecked my dad's car um, on the highway. So that was the absolute lowest point. And around that time... Um, my sister was in college and so I was under lockdown for much of my senior year when wasn't allowed to go to my senior prom and my sister Sheldy decides to surprise me for my uh, graduation present I guess um, by flying back home from Dallas to to Jakarta Indonesia to to visit me and uh, we never really had a good relationship primarily because I always thought that um, everyone that was a Christian was basically my mom. They're two-faced. They're hypocrites. They, um, and it didn't help. So yeah, so I guess I missed something. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> yeah. So that, so I, I I thought that every all Christians were just some form of my mother. And you um, had retained that. You kept, she she identified as a Christian. Yeah, yeah. So my my sister identified as a Christian. Um, I actually don't know her story. I need to ask her. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It didn't help that she looks like my mom too. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, but a little before that, or maybe a year or two before that, I had I, I remember declaring that I hated my mom. So that's the part I left out. Um, and I hated my mom and everything she stood for. Uh, and I wanted with everything that I that was in me to never be the become the person that she wanted me to be. And she was always saying how she sacrificed her entire life so that we could become good people and could become Christians. So I knew that the the best way to hurt my mom in the deepest way was to never be Christian, to never follow God. You know, that would probably be one of the things that would hurt her the most. And so that's kind of where I also declared that I didn't believe in God. Um, and yeah, so that's part. So fast forward a little bit. I, that was before the car wreck, yeah. And then car wreck was rock bottom. I was under lockdown uh, after that for pretty much the rest of high school. 
And so around that same time, I had applied to colleges in the Boston area, actually. Um, and through just uh, ultimately the Lord closing that door, but through just a series of just like mishaps, like over repeatedly, um, I ended up not being able to go. And by that time, I was a senior in high school, and it was too late to apply to any other colleges. And so it basically meant I had to wait six months before before I could go to college, which meant six months of being at home alone with my mom. And, you know, she had at that point, you know, taken my phone and my laptop, and I was basically never allowed to see my friends outside outside of, of my home, outside of school. And so I knew it wouldn't be a six-month vacation. It would basically just be six months of doing chores. That was the one thing my mom had pl- had me do a ton of was chores. Um, and so, yeah, so that was pretty much a low point in my life, I think, mentally, um, was senior year of high school, knowing that I'd be stuck at home with my mom for six months because I couldn't go to college, um, and then being in lockdown and feeling isolated from, from my friends. Um, and so, yeah, so my sister decides to surprise me by getting a tr- booking a plane ticket to Indonesia to surprise me on my graduation. And we were never really close because I never allowed her to get close. And so for a lot of reasons. And so when I met her, I knew <laughs> I knew I wasn't super excited to be honest. And just because I knew that my sister always tried to like sneak in Jesus here and there to get me to talk about my feelings. <laughs> And ultimately talk about God and <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so yeah, I wasn't I wasn't having it. I knew I knew yeah. her devious schemes. You know, I knew what she was trying to do, and so I would try to avoid her as much as I could for the for the next two weeks of her surprising me on um, at graduation. Uh, finally, eventually, she sneaks into my room like one of the last few nights that she was there before she had to fly back to to Dallas to to university again, and. Um, she found a way to get me alone, snuck in my room, and basically was like, "Hey, hey, Dave." So I, I go by Dave, or I, I, I went by Dave for much of my life. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I, it was. Well, when I first, when we first moved to the states, I think it was in kindergarten. Um, I remember my kindergarten teacher taking me aside and t- asking if I, she can just call me Dave because she couldn't remember Devar. And being a five-year-old, I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. Okay. And, it, and it just kind of stuck. So even my parents to this day call me Dave. Oh, really? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I didn't de- I didn't decide to start going by my real name until I moved to Arkansas. Okay. Um, but anyway, so she was like, Dave, you know, uh, sorry to bother you. Yeah, I, I really just wanted to give you your graduation gift. And so she pulls out a, uh, a white, shiny iPod video which back then was a thing to have, you know, with the yeah. little scrolly clicky wheel. Yeah. Um, it had like 80 gigs, which was like an enormous amount back then. Um, you could watch videos on it. Anyway, it was really cool. <laughs> yeah. And she was like, here is an iPod video that I'd like you to have. I know that you're going to be stuck at home for six months with my mom, with our mom, uh, because you couldn't go to, you can't visit your friends. You're only going to be allowed to do chores and all that stuff. So here's an iPod video to keep you company. Um, and oh, by the way, <laughs> in case you get bored um, or want to listen to something else, I also put podcasts of all my favorite uh, 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 preachers and, and, and Christian speakers on here. Um, and I remember in my head thinking, I knew, I freaking knew it. <laughs> she was trying to inject freaking Jesus into all this. Yeah. Um, and I remember thinking in my head, 
as soon as she leaves the room, I'm deleting all of those podcasts. Um, and so she, she gave me the iPod video. I was ecstatic and she left. The weird thing is every time I thought about deleting those podcasts, I never got around to it. Uh, so, you know, the iPod video, you needed that cable, you know, to plug to your laptop and go to iTunes and all that stuff. Yeah, it, it, was, it, was a process. it was a process, right. Yeah. But I didn't have my laptop that was taken away from me, you know? Oh, and right. so like every time, like I wanted to delete it, I couldn't cause I didn't have the means cause my mom hid the laptop. Uh, and when my mom and dad were at the grocery store and I can't like rummage in a room, look for my laptop for whatever reason, then something else would come up. Either they would come home early or I couldn't find the cable or, or, or what. So it, it got to a point where I just completely forgot about deleting the podcasts <laughs> and then life just went on. Um, and so, yeah, she returns to America and just like she said, all I literally was doing every day was chores. Like to this day, I have no idea. Like my main task was really ironing, like ironing clothes, you know, to this day, I have no idea where the heck my mom found all those clothes because there would always be a gigantic pile every single day of just clothes to be ironed. Um, and so, so yeah, so about to finish the story. Can we close the clothes? Um, hello, hello, hello. Oh, we're good. Wow. That was so weird. Okay. (laughs) House clean, housekeeping. We, we just paused because we learned my mic wasn't recording (laughs) for, I don't know why. I, I, I don't know. I think it was early on. I don't know. It, Most of it was you talking, so that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It looks like it's working now. I'm, I'm looking at the different Yeah. Let's pause. All right. All right. <laughs> We're back. Sweet. So your sister gave you your iPod that yes. you, for whatever reason, never ended up deleting the preacher yeah. podcast from. Yep, yep, yeah. And so she left, and sure enough, I was basically... Do, just doing chores, mm-hmm. mainly just ironing. Clothes. Ironing, yeah. Um, my mom would always have a gigantic pile of, of clothes. I don't think I've ever ironed really a single item. <laughs> Seriously, they intimidate me. I don't know. What, I don't. I don't know how to do. Yeah, it. I, I feel like that traumatized me because I could probably count on one hand the amount of times I've ironed anything after that period of time in my life. <laughs> yeah, well, that's understandable. Yeah, I'd much rather just wear it wrinkled, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just show all your flaws. It's more authentic that way. Yes. <laughs> um, but anyway, so yeah, so I would I would be ironing maybe like two or three hours every single day. Wow. And and I'd just really just be doing chores or be being my mom's personal chauffeur and just driving her places because my dad would always be traveling, um, like out of town on on like missions or some sort of business, and so yeah, and so it, obviously at this point. I had lost access to internet, so I couldn't download more songs. And so I was basically listening to the same playlist over and over again every single day. And I got to probably about a month in and realized you can only listen to Beyonce so many times on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my taste in music has since matured, but okay. which is, I guess there's nothing wrong with Beyonce. Yeah. But anyway... Um, but it got to a point where I just got absolutely so sick and tired of, of my playlist. Mm-hmm. And I remember ironing one day and just, I could not listen to, to the same songs over and over again. And I decided, you know what, what the heck? I'm going to look at my sister's podcasts and just pick one. And so it was, I, I clicked on her, her little podcast and I was scrolling down and there was a 
butt ton of them. I had not realized because I don't think I even opened up the playlist until that point. Uh huh. I was dead set on never opening that dang thing. Yeah. Um, that was the first time, and I remember being completely overwhelmed because they were just, I just kept the scrolly clicky thing just kept clicking, you know. Yeah. Like uh-huh. just, just going down. There's so many, and so eventually I just like picked a random one, and it was it was Matt Chandler. Okay. It was Matt Chandler, and. I remember clicking on Matt Chandler's name because there's a lot of Matt Chandler podcasts and just picking a random one, clicking it and putting my, you know, little ear, earbuds in. And um, for like the first time in, in maybe ever, but definitely the first time I could remember, uh, I remember being completely sucked into what Matt Chandler was saying. And Matt Chandler's sermons are pretty long, <laughs> but it felt like a second passed by because I was so engrossed by what he was saying. Hmm. And I remember, you know, he always he always tries to do a uh, like an altar call at the end. But I remember he got to the altar call, and I realized, holy crap! Like an hour and a half just passed by, and his sermon ended, and the podcast ended, and I was like, well, got nothing else to do. <laughs> I might as well listen to another one. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's basically kind of what what got it all started was, was, was those podcasts. Um, I listened to one Matt, Sir, Matt Chandler sermon after another. Eventually I would, you know, listen to Francis Chan. Um, and there was Louis Giglio in there, a, a couple of his, um, there was a whole bunch of, of, of preachers in there. And I remember like one by one, just going down that list and listening to these sermons as I was ironing. And, um, it got to a point like a lot of them always did like an altar call at the end and it got to a point where like I had to skip it because it was, it was getting very conflicting or convicting, hmm. um, listening to them. And I didn't really like it. I liked what they were saying, but I didn't want it to be like too personal. Um, uh, but I found myself at that moment being very drawn to, to following along with them. I so I would like, I would pick up my Bible, which, which I never picked up that thing like almost ever. Uh, and I'd, I'd realize I would, I'll follow along with them with what they were saying. And, um, yeah, eventually, again, it got to a, a, a place where it was starting to feel a little too real. The altar calls started to, to weigh a little heavier, and, and I was, it started to linger <laughs> um, far before I exited out of the podcast, or far after, or way after I... I Mm-hmm. Um, close the podcast. Yeah, and it was starting to get kind of scary <laughs> because I was dead set on not believing in God, primarily because I hated my mom, <laughs> and he didn't really make sense either. I, I was always a very more scientific, logical-minded kid, mm-hmm. and he he at the time he he didn't really make much sense to me. Um, but anyway. Yeah, but it got a little too too real. Uh, I said I did not like where my thoughts were headed because it started to drift ever more towards, well, what if I die? Where am I going? What if God is real? Like, who am I? Like, what is the purpose of life? Like, why are we here? Why do I keep thinking about death all the time? Why do I think keep, keep thinking about God all the time? Like, I have to remember. I have to remind myself. Like, I hate my mom. Like remember what you're doing this for. (laughs) 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 Um, Like she can't win. Um, And God doesn't, besides God doesn't make sense. Like he never did. Like he, all of his followers are hypocrites. 
Like no, none of it. No, I've yet to meet one perfect Christian. They're always, always broken. They're all broken. Um, and, and even just counting the cost of, if I follow Jesus, that's a 180 degree shift. And that's a, that's, that's a commitment. And I'm not willing to do that. I want to enjoy my life, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and so it got to, to a, a, a point where I just had to stop listening to those podcasts because mm. it was making me feel uncomfortable feelings. <laughs> wow. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't shake. I, I really couldn't shake, uh, I guess ultimately God, but I really, I couldn't stop thinking about it, all of it. And it got to a, a place where I basically just said, all right, um, I basically gave God an ultimatum. <laughs> it got to a point where like I couldn't keep him out of my head. Um, I was just like, "All right, listen, you out there, um, I will choose to follow you if three things happen. <laughs> I see visible improvement between my relationship with my mom, because uh, anyway, visible improvement between my relationship between myself and my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, vis- visible improvement with my battle with lust." Because, again, like I said, I've always struggled with it. Mm-hmm. It was always something that I kept hidden, but I knew that I was wrong. It, it was eating me up inside. Um, and, yeah, anyway. And so I, I thought that was something that was impossible to, to break. Um, and then also more faith. Because I felt like I lacked. I, there, was, there was no way in heck I could conjure up enough faith to, to continue to, to believe in God. Yeah. Um, to not just declare that I believe in God, but then to then live my life and become a follower of Jesus forever. Um, so I was like, those three things. If I see improvement in all three areas, I will give my life to you. <laughs> because I thought in my head, these were impossible things. I will never stop hating my mom. That's impossible. Our relationship will never improve. Um, I can I can never I can never be free from lust. Part of me thinks like this is completely normal, you know. Culture, for example, normalizes everything like pornography mm-hmm. um, and sex. It's like, yeah, it's just sex, you know? And so part of me was like, is it even wrong? Um, so I thought that was impossible to shake. And then faith, you know? I always thought, you know, you can't really scientifically prove that God exists. Um, so therefore, like, it's an impossible task to have faith to believe in him. <laughs> um, so I thought I was giving him just three impossible tasks. And and then completely forgot about this ultimatum. I I, I stopped listening to podcasts, stopped reading the Word, um, stopped following along. I guess in in the Bible, and had nothing. Did not you know? Did not want anything to do with God anymore. I was like, all right, that was interesting time. That was weird. I did not like those feelings. Um, <laughs> so here are three impossible things that I need to see. They're not going to happen, therefore, this will not happen, and I could go about my life, you know, and get ready for college. Um, fast forward a couple months, and my mom asked me to take her to uh, the mall, a shopping center. And I remember on the way driving her to the shopping center, for the first time in as far back as I could remember, we actually had a good conversation. And we were actually genuinely, like, laughing, like, back and forth banter and laughing. Mm. I remember parking the car and feeling super weird and realizing, holy crap. For the last two months, for the first time ever, my mom and I didn't fight. For the first time ever, we actually was able to get along. Um, and I remember, that's when I immediately remember the ultimatum that I gave God two months earlier, or three months earlier. And I was like, huh, weird, okay, whatever. And I remember we were walking 
up the escalator and um, immediately this super pretty girl walks past. And I remember looking at the girl, recognizing that she was very attractive. And then that was it. It was just like, oh, wow, look, a pretty girl. Cool. And that was it. And it stopped from there. And I remember stopping um, at the top of the escalator and realizing, holy crap, for the first time in a while, that's the first time I, 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 can, I could recall like not taking it further. And then, and then that's when I remembered, holy crap, for these last three months, I have not struggled with lust. Um, and I guess that's really vague. I don't know if you want me to find like lust. <laughs> I mean, we can dig into it if you want. I'm open to that conversation for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I struggle with pornography and, mm-hmm. and masturbation and, you know, all that stuff, sexual yeah. purity in general. Yeah. Um, anyway, that, when I say lust, that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. So okay. for those listening, for like, those wondering, like, those what wondering, does he like, mean? What does he mean? Why I don't know how many so non-Christians listen to this, but <laughs> yeah, if you're wondering, yeah. So sexual purity in general was not my forte, yeah. and um, and that's when I realized I had not struggled with any of those things for the last three months since that ultimatum. And I didn't even realize it, um, and that's when. I remember feeling legitimately terrified. <laughs> what if he does all three things? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, wait, do I believe in God? And then realizing, oh wait, no, I don't have enough faith to believe in God. And feeling an overwhelming sense of relief just wash over me. <laughs> Cause I was like, yes, I don't have enough faith. He, this thing. He didn't do the things. He didn't do all three things. So therefore I don't have to follow him. Yes. And so literally that was, that was the last time I thought about God for the rest of my time in Indonesia. We're just feeling relieved. <laughs> wow. Um, and and so we, so to answer your question, I'm about to answer your question now of like, what was it like moving back to the states? So I got accepted to college, I well, community college because I, I uh, it was too late for the you know, the bigger universities. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, which I recommend going the community college route because you save a ton of money. I've heard everybody say that. Yeah. So those listening. Just go, go, to to community, community college. go to community college. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you'll, you, you'll thank, thank me later. <laughs> um, anyway, so we'll I went put to, your number in the <laughs> show notes. <laughs> um, so I went to community college in Dallas and decided to go to Dallas cause my sister was there and Texas was cheaper than Boston and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Um, anyway, so I moved to Dallas fast forward a couple more months and, um, I arrived December 2011, and immediately upon landing, my sister uh, basically introduces me to all of her college friends, and and then she invites me to um, IHOP. Well, not the restaurant, the, the conference. IHOP, yes, one thing. okay. The yeah. one thing conference. Um, the end of the year conference that they always do. And she was like, hey, Dave, you know, you're not really doing anything because you don't have any friends because you just moved here. Why don't you follow my friends and I to IHOP in Kansas City? And it's a like, and you're like, yeah, I want some pancakes. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. I was like, IHOP, the pancake place. Why are we going to Kansas City? There's like one down the street. <laughs> um, and then, and she was like, no, no, it's like a, it's like a, it's a Christian conference. Um, a lot of guest speakers come. A lot of you know cool people sing and and all that stuff and, and it'll be a chance and you see fireworks. I don't know all, all this stuff. Anyway, she mm-hmm. convinced me somehow, you know, um, I didn't want to be alone for new years and I was like, might as well, you know, I'm not doing anything else. And so her and a bunch of her friends, 
um, invite me to IHOP. And I remember seeing some of her friends that were going on the trip and they were blowing my mind. Um, they, they, they called themselves Christians, all of them. And yet a lot of them had tattoos, for example. And my mom taught me that if you have tattoos, you are a devil's child and you're going to hell because it's super sinful to have tattoos. And yet all the guys had tattoos. <laughs> Some of the girls had tattoos. Um, um, the guys had gauged earrings, you know, and my mom said, if you wear earrings, you are associating with the, the, with the homosexual community <laughs> and you're going to hell. And, and so, and so they were the, they were f completely flipping, flipping what I thought Christians should look like and behave completely upside down. They, you know, we were driving to Kansas city, um, and I would ask them, you know, so what do you guys like to do for fun? And they would turn and say, Hey, you know, honestly, nothing sounds better than, um, you know, lighting up a cigar, getting, getting a bottle of beer and, and talking, talking about Jesus. And I'm like, those things don't really, <laughs> those things shouldn't mix together. You, I was like, I literally asked them, wait, you guys drink? <laughs> Cause again, I grew up with a mom that said, if you drink alcohol, if you smoke a cigar, you're essentially going to hell. You are a sinner. You're full of sin. Um, and yet here are these so-called Christians who had tattoos, who had earrings, who drank alcohol, who smoked cigars, and still talked about Jesus. And they clearly loved Jesus. I had, at, by, up to that moment in my life, I had yet to meet anyone as close to, as, as, as close to, as passionate about Jesus, there we go. Um, as 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 these group, th this group of people, it took us forever to get to Kansas City because every stop that we would we would have, they would literally tell everyone within earshot about Jesus, and they would literally ask if they can pray for everyone. We would get gas and would be there for like thirty minutes because everyone would get off and pray for everybody at the gas station, <laughs> and it was definitely weird. And really uncomfortable for me being around there but at the same time they had so much genuine joy and I felt like a miserable wreck for most of my life um, that was it was hard for me to compre comprehend having that much joy and because uh, they had it they had it in bucket loads and so we get to Kansas City and we're staying at one of my sister's friends parents home and oddly I still don't know why they did this, but so all the girls got the whole second floor of the house and all the guys got the whole first floor. But for me, I had to sleep alone in the office. <laughs> I remember taking my stuff, going inside the house and they're like, oh, hey Dave. Oh, you won't be sleeping here with the other guys. We actually prepared another room for you. And I'm like, this house is enormous. There is no shortage of space. Why am I getting a, my own room? This is all in my head. I'm like, I mean, okay, sure. And so they put me in the office alone with a, with a, with an air mattress that had a hole in it that, that would deflate at night around the same time and wake me up. Um, and again, <laughs> as all of this was going on, I still had the, the same thoughts, conflict, those thoughts and emotions I talked about a little earlier that I had when I was listening to those podcasts. They were always, always in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. um, I had a hard time sleeping around this time just because if I just let my guard down a little bit, all those thoughts will come rushing back in. Um, why are you here? 
do you, does God really exist? Um, um, why is life, why is life so meaningless? What is death? Um, does your life have value? Why does your life have value? Um, um, what is beyond death? You know, if God exists, what does that mean? If he doesn't exist, what does that mean? Um, anyway, all these thoughts were just piled in the back of my mind. And, um, and so I didn't sleep very much because I always had to be on guard with, with my own thoughts. Um, which is hard to do when you have a deflated air mattress that wakes you up in the middle of the night every single night. Um, anyway, so IHOP happens and long story short, a lot of, I guess, preconceived notions I had about what it is to be a Christian were completely flipped on that, on that trip. Um, I mentioned a little bit about, about it, but that was around the time when I realized, so this is what it means to, to follow Jesus. Um, this is what it means to, to truly follow Jesus. He, he, to them, God was not a vengeful God. He wasn't a God that demanded uh, perfection. Um, he wasn't a God that shamed you. To them, God was their best friend. God was um, their comforter. God was um, the person that said, hey, it's okay. You made a mistake, and that's totally fine. Um, God was you know, the one figuratively cracking a beer with them and, and, and talking about the Gospel of John. I don't know. Um, so long story short, I, I gave my life to the Lord January 1st, 2012 at IHOP. Um, well, really, in that in that in that room with the deflated mattress, <laughs> <laughs> um, I came to the realization that ultimately it's about surrender. That that third thing that I, that third thing on the ultimatum, asking the Lord for more faith, is is literally it, it's it's an act of surrender. It's realizing that at the end of the day. I have to completely put my faith in God to, to, to help me take that next step for the rest of my days. It's a complete dependence on, on God. Um, the purpose of, of the gospel is not so that I have 100% of the answers, because um, we'll never be able to have 100% of the answers. You could ask anyone that. Um, you don't even have to ask a Christian that. Ask a scientist that. <laughs> um, Eventually, you'll get to that. You'll get to the edge of that of that cliff, that that precipice. Pres yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> a thing. Yeah, that's a thing. Um, and you have to realize you have to take a step of faith. Um, you just have to. And and anyway, so I decided to take a step of faith, January first, twenty twelve, and decide to follow Jesus. And I basically told him, Lord. I don't feel like I have enough faith to last another second and I'm going to need your help, but I will take this first step and surrender everything. Um, and yeah, so I saw, decided to follow Jesus January 1st, 2012, and it's been a struggle ever since. Um, I have basically crawled. I am crawling my way to the finish line. <laughs> um, definitely have way more bad days than good days, but it was after that period of time when when I started to unpack a lot of my baggage mm -hmm. and yeah. going to your original question, what was it like moving back here um, and unpacking those things? It was, it was basically unpacking all that junk and that took years. Um, I lived 
And it took living with pretty amazing, incredible people. One of which that comes to mind is Kyler Davis. I don't know if he'll ever listen to this podcast. He could, but you uh, could send it to him. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I guess I could. Um, Tell all your fans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kyler Kyler Davis uh, was one of the first people that taught me the language of emotion. Um, and through through the Myers Briggs, that's that was that was the gateway, the intro book, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and and through that, I was start, I started to unpack and realize, holy crap, my mom really did a number on me. Mm. Um, and holy crap, that was really messed up what she did. And and holy crap, I'm super passive aggressive, just like her, which makes sense because. That was all I was taught. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like I share a lot of the tenden- same tendencies that she she has, um, and I now know that to be wrong. Like if I feel if someone wronged me, I should tell them. If I have bad thoughts, I don't need to stuff it. Um, you know, sometimes it's okay to drop an f bomb in a prayer. <laughs> sometimes it's okay to tell God that he is an a hole, <laughs> um, and. And it's not okay to stuff to stuff emotions. We should process and talk about them. Mm-hmm. It's okay to process, process negative things. It's probably better to talk about the negative yep. feelings. Um, and and uh, so so yeah, Kyler Davis, one of the key key people in my life to help me start to unpack those things and to really help me understand. Oh yeah, you're probably messed up, but that's okay. We're all messed up. <laughs> like how and so how how do we how do we heal? What does restoration look like? What does the healing process look like? Um, and that's when I really started to understand that, like, you hear a, a lot of the time about, you hear testimonies a lot of the time about, you know, um, drug addicts being free from their addiction after asking the Lord to take it away or taking away ex- sicknesses or, or pain, growing back legs, you know, crazy stuff like that. But I've never, ever once heard a testimony where, for example, someone was emotionally broken maybe they were raped for example and they asked the lord to take to take those memories and feelings away and and then instantaneously they were gone i've never heard of testimony like that because i don't think the lord works that way Um, i think in the realm of emotion and in when it comes to heart wounds there is a very specific way um that the lord would that god would like for us to to heal from that and it doesn't involve miraculously taking it away. I think that's one of the issues with my mom and why she's still emotionally damaged is because she thought that after all the stuff that happened to her in her life, as long as you pray and ask the Lord to take it away, he's going to take it away. Um, and then you can forget about it and stuff it in and then move on with your day pretending that he took it away, which wasn't the case for her. She definitely still has all that baggage in there. Um, and, and so it was coming to that realization of, okay, I just need to really, really take the time to unpack all of these feelings, all of this baggage, process through them, um, and understand and, and really be vulnerable. You know, um, I feel like a lot of people are transparent, but transparency and vulnerability are like two separate things. That, that many people think are the same, but they're not. You can be open without being vulnerable. Um, and that's when I learned, you know, vulnerability is is something that you should only do with, like, selected, trusted individuals, sure. But it is something that is needed 
um, especially when you're talking about restoration and healing. Um, and yeah, so there are a lot of things that I had to unpack, not just emotionally, but even from um, even from the Bible sense. So there's a lot of things about the Bible that I realized uh, is not biblically true, what my mom said. <laughs> um, and I realized she used religion to control me, essentially, mm-hmm. um, and placed these notions about God that were biblically untrue that I had to unpack, um, and which took years. <laughs> And so, uh, you know, going through college was really interesting, like very thankful, loved it, you know, but it wasn't about the degree for me. Um, I loved college because for the first time, it was the long five years of the, the re-breaking and then the reforming. Um, and I, definitely still not completely healed. There's probably for sure still some, some things left there um, mm-hmm. that still need, you know, continual prayer and restoration but i'm in a place i'm at a place now where i can legitimately say that i no longer hate my mom um man like the lord it was almost like the hatred went away and was replaced with empathy and understanding uh, i can see now where my mom's coming from and instead of hatred my heart actually pours out for her like it's like dang like you know, she didn't have friends. She she she, t- she still doesn't have friends. You know, she never had anyone to confide in. Um, she still carries a lot of baggage. And human beings were not designed to be stuffers. Mm-hmm. Um, you go crazy. You become my mom. If you try to stuff things for 40 plus years, you just become an emotional wreck. And I don't know what my mom's baseline personality is because it's all warped. You know? Yeah. Because she stuffed it. And uh, eventually those feelings calcified. <laughs> um, and it doesn't, it didn't mean it went away. It just, it's now just there forever. <laughs> it's, uh, and so, so yeah, so college after be- being an MK was very interesting. And uh, yeah, a lot of angry moments too, especially with I'm God. Sure. I have dropped very many f-bombs directed toward god (laughs) it's good i think that's healthy i think everybody wants to do that and we're all scared right yeah yeah and it was just an understanding like god can take it yeah like Like, oh my gosh no what did he say (laughs) yeah there's no lightning bolt coming to strike me down um i think at the end of the day the lord wants that that honesty Mm -hmm. um and that blunt raw emotion um because again he doesn't want us to be stuffers and and he already knows what we're feeling anyway. So technically it's like, dude, just let it out. <laughs> you know, give me your rebel yell. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so yeah, so yeah. So college is very interesting. And uh, but yeah, so, so that, and, that, and that's one of the reasons why it was interesting. Of that yeah, I bet. Yeah. Especially with, I mean, it was right at the start, mm-hmm. right? That you, you moved to Dallas and started school, I guess. Mm-hmm. And before you even knew anybody else, yeah, you meet all these people who help you just, your life turns around. Right. Like yeah. that's the first thing that happens. Yeah, yeah. It was really cool. Like there's so many people that, that, that the Lord sent my way that helped me with one particular aspect of my life that I needed help in. You know, you know Kyler came in, obviously my sister in the beginning. She's a huge 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 part of my testimony forever thankful for her 
uh, you know, she came in and, and helped me with part of my life. Kyler Davis came in and helped me with another part of my life, you know, and the list goes on and on of different people and different events, even, um, different, different things happening that helped me, uh, start that healing process to, to trigger that healing process, um, that I've suppressed or that I didn't realize was in there or that broken part of me that I didn't even realized was broken. And, and that was the best part about college. Um, I think was I could, f I was finally able to find that baseline me, um, a baseline identity. Um, and then, and so, yeah, so, so, so that was cool. But yeah. Definitely hard. <laughs> oh yeah. Definitely was a very long, strenuous process. <laughs> yes, yeah. man. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Um, how I want to ask how different and better normally I just I prefer just the word different but obviously better I think is is appropriate is how different and better is the freedom that you know now compared to where you were before yeah can you articulate any of that yeah <laughs> it's really interesting because Sometimes, I don't know, sometimes, if I'm honest, it doesn't feel like freedom. Mm. I, feel, I feel like, I don't know, when I, for example, when I decided to follow Jesus, you know, I feel like that when I invited the Holy Spirit in, all of a sudden things that didn't convict me convicted me. <laughs> um, all of a sudden things that I didn't think were that wrong we're all of a sudden like, oh, oh yeah, that's wrong. Crap. <laughs> and I do that. Crap. Um, and so it was very hard in the beginning to, to, to break free from this idea that like I needed to be perfect. Um, and that was, I think, one of the first base foundational things that the Lord needed to break out of me. That I needed to be perfect in order to remain a Christian, to remain a follower of Jesus. I had to understand that it was not about my works. It was not about how perfect I was, how many hours I prayed, or how many chapters of the Bible I read. It wasn't about how many, how long I could go without masturbating. None of that mattered. Um, the Lord only cared about my heart. Um, he only was after a relationship. Um, and to me, I thought a relationship looked like rules, rule following. Mm -hmm. uh, it looked like being the perfect Christian. Get involved in church. Don't do drugs. Don't watch porn, um, memorize scripture, um, pray for three hours without ceasing, you know, and only if you reached that minimum, you were doing okay. And I realized I was, I was not, I, I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, I always failed and it, and it felt like a burden and it, it wasn't until I came to the realization that, um, you know, it was for freedom that Christ died. And what does that freedom look like? It, freedom comes, I think, from the realization that at the end of the day, what God envisioned in this relationship was literally what it was like at the garden. It was literally God chilling with Adam, you know, completely naked, just naming animals left and right. <laughs> That's it, a great picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was about... Hey, what about that one? Yeah, opossum. It's like, huh, okay, interesting. Cool, yeah, opossum, great. <laughs> um, yeah, and it, that was it. It was just a genuine, it, 
it wasn't about how long you can pray. It wasn't about how much scripture you can memorize. It was just about, hey, let's let us let's hang out and do life. Yeah. Interestingly, um, there wasn't even any scripture to memorize. Right. <laughs> exactly. At that period of time, yeah. Um, it was it was just strictly it was just strictly hang out with God as you are, um, without free from free from um, any sort of uh, thoughts about perfection or you know thoughts about you know having to do this or or do that or i haven't done this and haven't done that um you know free from pride uh, free from insecurity free from addiction um to get to a place where none of that even matters it's just a foregone thought and is just about naming animals with god (laughs) um and and uh so so yeah so once i realized that it's I, I truly understood what grace meant um, and and why why the New Testament just ha- tries to hammer in that concept of grace um, uh, and and I learned to give myself grace and um, yeah and that's probably been the most powerful most uh, powerful feeling and so I guess that's I guess where I truly felt freedom even though sometimes it doesn't <laughs> feel completely freeing, you know, uh-huh. um, sometimes the old habits creep in and yeah. sometimes it's hard not to look at your failures and, or fixate on your failures. That's what the enemy wants to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's his number one goal. Let me fixate you on your failures. Let me make sure that your inner dialogue is about, is always negative about yourself. Let me break you down slowly. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think, so that's kind of what it feels like. It's, it's, it does that burden does feel lifted um but it's also a daily reminder that that i that i need to give grace to myself and a daily reminder that um at the end of the day even though you know friend a knows can 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 know knows the book of john by rote memory it doesn't mean that he's better than you i i learned that in the in the journey of following Jesus, there is no set course that everyone needs to abide by. Mm-hmm. There's no set duration. There's no set speed. <laughs> if it takes you a decade to to even um, be able to, I don't know, um, get comfortable enough to tell someone about Jesus, for example, that's okay. <laughs> um, if it takes you know. A decade to, to to finally figure out what prayer means, you know that's okay. If it takes a decade for you to finally not get to a place where you're always mad at God, <laughs> that's okay. Um, so for some people, they they discover God and they're gung ho, you know, guns blazing, and they mm-hmm. they lead people left and right to to Jesus and and they recite scripture, and that's great. Yeah, but that doesn't have to be the only way. Yeah. There's a place for everything. There, yeah, and at the end of the day, and everyone, right? At the at the end of the day, God really only cares about your heart, um, your your base motivations, um, where you're coming from, and why you're getting stuck. Um, it's it's not so much getting to the finish line as quickly as possible. It's hey, why are you in a rut? <laughs> Let's unpack that. I will sit here with you in the mud until we unpack this. Um, and and then we're going to keep on going. We're going to be trudging forward.
and uh and so that's been super healing <laughs> i think so yeah well that mm-hmm. answered your question i again i don't know what the question was. i <laughs> guess no i remember it's about freedom yeah, yeah yeah so that's i guess that was that's my my freedom yeah 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 i don't know how to articulate if someone i mean probably a lot of the questions i ask uh-huh. if somebody else asked them to me i don't know i don't know exactly <laughs> what i'd say i'd have to think about it a lot but uh-huh. like articulating freedom man it, it, i i don't know yeah i was i'm thinking i just i feel like i experienced it a lot um specifically in my life in the last like this certainly this year 2021 man it's been great Mm -hmm. Uh, but a lot of 2020 as well 2020 was a really good year for me um i think it was probably the year i began to be free like really free Mm -hmm. and now i just man it's it's hard like sitting here right now i feel very free i feel Mm -hmm. so privileged to be able to feel this way i'm like well why can't i can't i just like let people know what this is like in some way how how can i articulate this feeling um i'm just imagining just sitting though in like a coffee shop and just sitting just because i can Mm -hmm. and just kind of looking around maybe listening to music maybe talking to people like that's what i do regularly Mm -hmm. on my days off yeah and it feels so great. It's so freeing. I'm not worried about. I mean, I worry about stuff, but <laughs> it's hard not to a lot of times. But but often now, if I just slow myself long enough to think about it, to think about oh, kind of what we were talking about earlier, what's true, the things that are said about me, and choose to believe them. Man, I I don't have a care in the world. It's like just. Mm-hmm. i'm just am yeah and that's so beautiful yeah <laughs> and there are some moments that inspire that feeling more like i said this is mm-hmm. this is this kind of thing does that for me mm-hmm. um sitting in a coffee shop without an agenda does that for me mm-hmm. that's me strolling through the garden nice like yeah and i i, I feel like i have more of like more of my life is spent in the garden mm-hmm. in the last year. And I'm so thankful for it. Yeah. This is also convicting for me. Like I was thinking the last like half hour, mm-hmm. just thinking about this is the most directly Christian conversation I've had on this podcast, I guess. I really? guess we jumped into it right away. <laughs> You know, yeah. Uh, we kind of weasel around a little bit in the other uh-huh. podcast, and then we get into it when uh-huh. people don't expect. Uh-huh. <laughs> but no, we kind of jumped into it right away, and that's fine because, like, I, I do, I identify as a Christian. Mm-hmm. I'm a, f- I follow the person of Jesus, but I'm, I'm really careful about saying that mm-hmm. these days. Because I'm so sensitive to the fact that so many people have not encountered a good version of the God that I serve. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a really important thing to me to make sure the interactions they have with me are different. Yeah. So those people yep. you met when you moved here. Yep. Like, I, I want to be 
that experience for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm afraid that as soon as I mention the word Christian or Jesus, the walls go up and I'm that, not going to yeah. have that opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so far, every episode, every episode of this podcast has had a segment where I'm ranting about how horrible the church is. <laughs> like every episode. Because I feel, I feel duty bound. I feel mm-hmm. like we've done so many things so horribly mm-hmm. to make it so hard for people who don't know this God to actually get to know him. Mm-hmm. And that's horrible. And there's no excuse for it. And there's a lot of reasons why we've gone that way. And if people don't call it out, if the people in the church, in the body, don't call it out and say, hey, this thing is not okay. Uh-huh. We need to change this. Mm-hmm. Then nothing's going to change. And the church is going to continue being stagnant and and very unattractive. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, if I know somebody who has no interest in God and there's just so much more joy in his life than he sees in in the lives of the people around him who claim to be Christians. Uh He doesn't have any reason Mm -hmm. to follow this God. Right. I feel like I have tons of joy and a lot of peace and contentment and freedom. And so I I think my life is compelling in that way. But part of that has come from me just tearing apart Christianity, (laughs) tearing apart things that I was taught Uh and things that I know people on the outside of the church see. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think every episode of this podcast so far, there's been a part where I'm tearing apart something about the church. Yeah. Because again, I don't know who listens to this. Whoever you are, if the million people listen to this, I want everybody to be able to listen and be like, this is a Christian and he's brutally honest about the church and Mm -hmm. Christianity and what it means to follow this God. Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of any questions. There's nothing you can do that worries me now. There's no hole you can poke in (laughs) the the relationship, I guess, I have with this being, Uh, as far as I know. (laughs) Uh I mean, I thought it was unbreakable for most of my life, I guess. Yeah. And then it broke completely. So, (laughs) you know, maybe I'm wrong. But now I'm at a place where it's not about all those extra things that were built up that I had made my my box with. Uh-huh. Um, the box was flimsy and it broke. Now it's about uh, whatever, whoever this being is that I have this experience of who I believe is embodied in Jesus. Um, I experience that person. Mm-hmm. Just like I experienced my mom. Like, I have a relationship, and that's what it is built on. Um, And for anybody who wants to get into the nitty-gritty of, well, let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about church. Let's talk about scripture. Let's talk about what does it mean that God is sovereign, or what does it mean to have free will, or what does it mean that Uh scripture is divinely inspired or inerrant or whatever. Like, I want to have those conversations with everybody. Yeah. But I but I want to ease into it so that people are like, I don't know. I, I want people to feel comfortable asking questions and yeah, I, I, I do worry about 
if I if the first thing they hear about me is he's a Christian, all of those things that I just said are probably not in their head. <laughs> uh, yeah, they could, they could be depending on what your experience of Christians is. But most people I've met who are not Christians, or who have chosen not to follow this religion, because obviously if you live in this country, you're exposed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a story why. Mm-hmm. They have their reasons. Yep. Um, and we all do this. If, if you tell me your name and then you give me a label that describes who you are or what you do, I'm automatically importing a whole bunch of ideas uh, mm-hmm. onto my perception of you. Yeah. Christian that's a big label it is yeah it's a multiple thousand year old Uh um international charged label it is yeah it's very charged especially uh in this in this day and age yeah (laughs) and i i do identify as it though in terms of if you want to ask me like oh what does that mean it's like well it comes from christ which comes from christos which is greek and it basically meant Ma, ma, Mashiach, I think, was the mm-hmm. Aramaic, which was basically just deliverer. This person was known as deliverer. He delivered these people. There's all these things he did. I follow this person, and the life that he lived is something I want to emulate. Um, but I don't feel like I actually... I'm very hesitant to use his name. Right. Yeah, like you're saying, it is very charged. Yeah, people automatically will think you're a, a homophobe. Yeah, now they might think you're a racist. Mm-hmm. Yep, <laughs> um, and that, and they'll think that you know you're anti-trans, um, anti-women, mm-hmm. um, and so on and so forth. And so it is very, very much charged, and usually it it is sourced in a lot of pain. Yeah, um, yeah, at, at at the core, and. Yeah, so I totally get where you're where you're coming from. Where if if when you say you hesitate telling people that you're a Christian, you know, yeah, uh, because I, I'm I'm the same way. I I totally understand where you're coming from because I do the same thing. Partly also because I want them to see, for example, that in the way that I act and treat them, outside of the labels, mm-hmm. even if before they they knew I was a Christian, I want them to see that, for example. Um, if you're gay, I will treat you the same exact way, no matter how you choose to live your lifestyle. Um, I will still be as interested in you. I would still want to know your story. I would I would still grab coffee with you. Um, and I want you to know that before you find out that I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Because I want it to not make sense, that label with the person in front of you. Um, because cause that's what happened with me when I first you know, met my sister's friends, for example. I had a I had these preconceived notion of what Christians were, and they were completely flipping that um, upside down. Even before they told me they followed Jesus, you know, and uh, I want I I kind of want that same reaction when I'm talking to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so that way, when they say, "Oh my gosh, I didn't know you were a Christian," so you hated me this whole time for being gay. I'm like, name one instance where you felt like I was hating on you. And I want them to not be able to name one because mm-hmm. I want them to understand, like, I am sorry that that is what you feel or what you associate Christianity with, what you think about the church as. Um, I could understand how much how much um, 
just shame and pain, emotional pain it was for you to to grow up in a community that, that shamed you. Um, and that's horrible, yeah. I'd probably feel the same way. Um, and so to kind of begin to unpack those errors, because usually when you, when, when you think about like God, for example, um, ultimately I feel like it's, it, it's, it's usually not a logical hiccup at the end of the day. Almost always is an emotional one. It could, it could almost always be sourced to some sort of uh, pain or, or something in the past. Keep talking. Um, to kind of make you feel that way. And, uh, and so I feel like when you can get down to that level, when you can start talking about those things, uh, that's when you can start really, I don't know, I don't really be Christ-like <laughs> um, to, to people. And yeah, so yeah, I don't I don't know where I was going with this. Yeah, <laughs> I I'm very I I can talk about the word God very easily because mm-hmm. I know to to people like God can mean a lot of things, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> like I think um, I can go on long rants about the misuse of the word God and why it's kind of unhelpful, um, because it means lots of things. To lots mm-hmm. of different people. It's like you get on a bus with 40 people and you say the word God, you're going to have 40 different ideas uh-huh. in, in 40 different heads, even if half of them are Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to get into that right now. <laughs> I love linguistics, though. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm pretty easy to... I, I very easily get into um, spiritual discussions with people mm-hmm. um like i want people to at least kind of ease into this idea that there's lots of spiritual things happening like there's there's not some there's not earth and humans and animals and all this stuff and then one being who's just totally different and nothing else mm-hmm. that's that's not I, I, one, I don't think that's at all biblically sound, and two, it doesn't make sense, and I don't think it's helpful to uh, start the conversation that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm very quick to have those conversations with people. I like that. That's that's nice. fun to me, especially because <laughs> I don't think people expect it if I am Christian to want to have that. I want to have those discussions about like, yeah, there are lots of gods. It depends on what you mean by God, though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I serve one who I believe is, like, the almighty one, mm-hmm. if you want to use those terms. Um, but I believe in lots of spiritual things. Mm-hmm. There's lots going on. And a lot of it is scary. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I was having a discussion with somebody last night about this while sitting in my car. Like, if there's a whole world full of spiritual beings... I should be no quicker to give my allegiance to them than I would just randomly picking any human. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk around on this planet with 7 billion other people, you're not just going to start praying to any of them. Uh-huh. You know, you have to have good reason to do that. Right. Um, I want to have better reason if I'm talking to a being that's totally beyond my dimensions 
and has a lot of power too. Mm-hmm. If I'm asking things of this being, like I want to have a reason to trust him, you know? Right. Yeah. Though, so I think that's kind of I don't I haven't experienced that conversation from a lot of Christians, mm-hmm. and I'm fascinated by all of it. So I like getting into it with people. Okay. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's fun. The, the Hebrew is Elohim, if you're wondering, and it's it's much more vague than you think. <laughs> You sound like the uh, the Bible Project guy. Oh, I am. Yeah, I am the Bible Project guy. We're oh, it's put away now, but I have their I get their quarterly magazines. Oh, really? You do? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're awesome. Yeah, I love. Them. Oh, they're so great, man. That that's man. The Bible Project was um the resource that as someone with a five wing, mm-hmm. um, yeah allowed me to retain my faith in the bible specifically Mm -hmm. not so much the spiritual world or my experience of god because that wasn't going away but this book was getting way too many holes in it Uh and the bible project and all the teachers in that field began to open my eyes in a way that allowed me to continue having faith and and making sense of things yeah um yeah Yeah. because i think there's a difference between like preaching culture and then academic biblical scholarship right um and i was mostly pretty much primarily raised in preaching culture i heard Mm -hmm. pastors and as a five wing like i i can take words that are used in a sermon Mm -hmm. and pull them apart and be like wait a minute though this doesn't light up this doesn't make sense yep yep and i do that all the time subconsciously or not and i'm trying to i'm trying to back off and be (laughs) like man it's not not that the point of this (laughs) settle down it it is a good habit to have though yeah i mean i i think thinking critically is very important, especially mm-hmm. in the realm of faith and following this God. You don't want to right. just believe things that people are telling you. you yeah, know? yeah, especially if you're talking about Scripture. Yeah, um, I think it's very important mm-hmm. to to fully understand because it's like the difference between exegetical versus eisegetical. You know, exegetical is is looking at Scripture in its correct con or trying to look at Scripture in in its correct context mm-hmm. and and to extract the the meaning and the overall message. Versus eisegetical, where you you kind of um, impart your own bias into it, so that you, you take verses so that it it can work for your message. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, so I think it's very important to recognize that when someone says something, be like, wait a minute, actually, <laughs> yeah, because um, it is very destructive. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. You used really good words there too, exegetical and eisegetical. Uh-huh. I use I use different ones. Okay. <laughs> I call the. <laughs> What of I call the Song of Songs effect? Because <laughs> no preacher seems to want to actually read the Song of Songs uh-huh. the way it's written. Huh. It's always like, I'm go- I have to pull the allegory out of this that works for uh-huh. the congregation. Uh-huh. Because I can't get into this ancient Hebrew love poetry. Uh-huh. Like, I have to make it something else. Yeah, And it is. It's more. It's not just one thing. 
But again, it's not just one thing. It's not just some allegory for something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I call it that. When when someone takes a preconceived idea they have about what it what scripture is saying, and then they come to it with that expectation seeking affirmation of that already held belief yeah like if you go into something like that you're going to find the things you want to see Mm -hmm. and you're not going to grow in that way yeah yeah um the reason i call that the song of songs effects is because it's such like that book people don't want to (laughs) people often in the christian community don't want to think of it as like erotic love poetry right that is <laughs> yeah. one of the things that it is like it's right. it's painfully obvious when it is you very obvious it. yeah it's very obvious and honestly for me it was actually healing yeah to to, to well, read song of solomon and realize recognize oh my gosh this is canonized scripture yep why is it canonized scripture maybe i mean it might be some deep metaphorical allegory or it could just be god saying hey sex is fun yeah <laughs> and the hebrews are steamy people man yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and, and that's okay like yeah sex is a gift it yeah. should be enjoyed mm-hmm. you should be attracted to your spouse mm-hmm. there's nothing you know wrong with 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 liking their physical features um, no it'd be kind of weird if you didn't it honestly. would be hard. If you, yeah, it would be yeah. much harder to be in a relationship with them, honestly. Yes, yeah. Uh, or procreate, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and, it, and it's okay. Like, it should be celebrated, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think... Who was it? I think it was Matt Chandler. I could be wrong, for those of you listening, that actually talked about Song of Solomon and being like, yeah, sex is awesome. That's what it's about. <laughs> I'd, be like, I'd be like, I've heard him say that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. And... I don't know. I feel like it's hard for me sometimes to talk about God, if I'm honest. Um, part of it is, you know, as a five, I want to have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And I'm afraid of the questions that I don't have answers to. Yeah. Um, and and what that would mean, you know, and I don't want to look dumb or or lose someone. Yeah. And, and so that's like a, a daily reminder that, one, I'm not the point. And two, at the end of the day, I don't save people. Ultimately, only God saves people, and the burden of responsibility is never on me. Um, it is on Christ. But also, I really want to try to begin just even normalizing talking about God, because that's that's always, that's even that even that's been a struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Of, you know, I feel like a lot of people know me as a nice guy, but. They don't necessarily know me as as a Christ follower because I don't explicitly state it. For example, um, and is that right or wrong? I don't know, but I feel like I feel like it's it is an important part of me um, that I don't share be- out of fear. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think that's where it becomes an issue because. Um, Ultimately, I would like to get to a place where, like, kind of like you, like, I could talk about God all day. Like, you know, um, from a place of, not from a place of pride. I don't think you're coming from a place of pride necessarily. I don't, I could, oh, I, did um, I say at some point I could talk about God all day? <laughs> well, you, you you implied it, that you love talking about this stuff. Oh. And, and, and you can talk about it all the time. Um, it might have been Yeah, about, but I don't bring Jesus into it always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, regardless, you know, yeah, yeah. you at least talk about God and I feel like God at this 
point in our culture and this part of the world is becoming more and more taboo. Like you don't talk about anything related to God, even if it's not strictly Christian, you know, if it's mm-hmm. just talking about the concept of a God. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of my life is driven by fear. So I'm a five wing six, so it makes kind of sense. <laughs> the sixes are, are driven by fear a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and that's been very discouraging actually for me because um, I don't know, part of it is, you know, like I said before, if you have great news to share, you're excited to help. If you win the lottery, you're going to tell someone, you know. Don't. Yeah. Don't tell you anyone. Shouldn't. Yeah. You shouldn't. You shouldn't tell shouldn't. anyone. No, if you <laughs> yeah, or, or, you know, if you, you know, if you, if you saw. If you got married. Or if you saw a flying elephant, you know. Yes. You'd probably tell someone that you saw a flying elephant because um, it's exciting. And, and yet I never get that way. You'd probably also be terrified. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that that too. You Did know. I actually just see a flying elephant? <laughs> what did those Onyx people slip into my coffee? Those dang hipsters. <laughs> um. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but and, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I really want to get to a place where just even talking about the concept of a god is is normal I, mean, mm-hmm. I just kind of want to normalize that you know yeah and like what you're saying you don't have to inject jesus or christianese into it um but just to simply talk about god talk talk about things deeper than just what'd you do on the weekend how about how's how about those razorbacks or you know patrick mahomes can really throw a football you know i don't know patrick um, who <laughs> <laughs> i don't know Oh, that's my joke. When it, when I when there's a lot of like conversation going around that I, either is really negative or just nobody really wants to talk, mm-hmm. I'm just like, so so did you guys see the game? <laughs> and often they'll say, "What game?" I'm like, "Any of them," <laughs> and which is a Michael Scott line. Also, so I'm kind of plagiarizing that. But oh, nice. Well, when they say what game, I just say any because one, I don't watch any of them. Right. Just <laughs> did you watch a game that you enjoyed? <laughs> And they're like, yeah, Patrick Mahomes was awesome. Yeah. Like, oh, oh great. great. Tell me yeah. about him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, but I don't know. I, I I would like to have more authentic conversations with people. Bottom mm-hmm. line. Yeah. Um, and questions about your existence is core to, 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 to I feel like is core to what it means to be human. Yeah. Everyone at some point in their life has had that question of what is the point of this? Why am I here? How did we get here? Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone has an opinion and has come to a conclusion about those questions. Um, and some people push those questions aside and don't even think about them. Yeah. But, but they're still there. And and those are conversations that gets me excited. Um, and... I don't know, because at the end of the day, it doesn't just lead to authenticity, um, but it makes people think about, yeah, why do I do the things that I do? Mm -hmm. Um, Why am I so obsessed with getting that bonus, getting that promotion, buying that car, wanting that house, you know? Um, And... Like, why am I so fixated on things? Why do I have a collection of 
a thousand toy dolls. <laughs> you know? Somebody and listening to this podcast in the future just got really offended. <laughs> They're looking around at their doll collection. It's like there's no reason why. <laughs> anyway, anyway. <laughs> um where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. And and those are some of the those are conversations that I, that I want to have more with people. Yeah. Um Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that's why I'm doing this. This gives me an excuse to deliberately ask people to engage in this kind of conversation. Because if I ask you to be on this show and you know anything about it, you know I'm going to ask you some hard questions. Mm-hmm. Or we're going to talk about more than the weather or what game was on. Yeah. Like, that's not the point of this. This is to have real, meaningful, deep conversation. Mm-hmm. And it's really just me trying to explore more of the thing that I want to do in my normal everyday life, which is have real genuine conversation with people Mm -hmm. and ask those questions. And often I'm in conversation with somebody and think, Oh, I want to ask this question. I don't know if I can though. And I don't, um, I wish I was at a place where I was always okay. Just asking if I feel like I should. Yeah which often is the case. I feel like I should ask a question or I just want to ask a question. And there's all these fears about would they be okay with the question? How would they feel about being asked that? Is that overstepping my bounds? Mm -hmm. Is that requiring too much of them? Is it a nuisance? Am I a nuisance? All those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, The more I've pushed against that idea though and believed that it is a good thing, to ask those questions, um, the more I have learned that it is okay and I've not actually met with negative yeah. responses Yeah. so far. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think it helps that, one, it's easy to talk to you, I think primarily because there doesn't seem to be any obvious negative, like you're not trying to get something out of me, you know? Um, and I think when oh, people, you just wait, <laughs> yeah. um, what was I, what was I going with? Sorry. <laughs> I, I ruined everything with humor. Oh, okay. I remember I'm back. I'm back. I'm easy back. to talk to. Yeah. And I, 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 well, I feel like it's easy for you to get to that or I'm assuming it's, you've had these conversations with before, um, with people, with random people. And you said, you said it yourself, you haven't, you have yet to get a negative response. I think that's also to do with the fact that they understand that you're not trying to get something out of them. There is, if, 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 you know, if she's a woman, you're not trying to get her number. <laughs> you're genuinely just interested in, in getting to know them and understanding where they're coming from. Um, I don't know if women know that. <laughs> I really don't. I don't know if I know that. <laughs> well, but well, in all the other things. Yes, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, okay. That's fair. That's fair. Well, I guess in my sense, then um, I have, you know, I feel like there is no ulterior motive. Um, You know, you're not trying to get me to go to your church. You know, you're not Mm -hmm. trying to make me uncomfortable. Um, You're simply just wanting to talk to me. And I think human beings are deeply relational. Yeah. Um, They they want to be known and understood. Mm -hmm. Um, They want to be uh, heard. It's it's just a basic you know desire and. Um, 
And so it's, and I feel like that's why lots of people are very open to talking about these things, especially if they, they know that there is no ulterior motive, um, that there isn't something that they're trying to get out of you. And, uh, yeah. So, so yeah, so I guess in, in some sense you, you do kind of have to, to build a level of trust. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and I think you do a good job of that, um, by how you approach conversation with people. Mm, thank so, you. So yeah. Yeah. And not very many people are, are good at that. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So Well, that's good to know. So hopefully you yeah. don't have a negative experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. And I do like, I was just thinking, like, again, it's not easy for me to jump in and start talking about Jesus. But I... I want it to be because this is the person. Like, this is the person. Mm. For me, all of the things I was talking about earlier, this freedom and this peace and this joy and this okayness that I get to experience in life, that's coming from this person. Mm. I have it because of him. Why would I not want to tell people about it? Yeah. It's really out of fear and this worry that, they think of him already in a certain way Mm. and by extension me in a certain way if they know that i subscribe to him Mm. and and all these that sort of stuff but i shouldn't worry about it because if i'm genuine and they can see that joy and that genuineness and that life and freedom in me i hope they can then that shouldn't create a negative response either like it would if anything do the reverse like oh i saw <laughs> sorry I just, like... <laughs> look at that <laughs> i like seeing those things okay right, right. uh, sorry Bye. yeah Go. if anything if they get to know me kind of like you were saying earlier you like them to be able to see all these good things about you before they know of any label on you you want them to be able to see ahead of time that you love them the same way regardless of who they are or what they do i want them to see that and they sh- they should see that if that's the way that i am and then for me to talk about jesus just means now they get to mm-hmm. like be at the very least challenged in their perception of this god because here's somebody standing in front of me mm-hmm. who like follows this person mm-hmm. and they're different yeah hey tell me about that a little bit yeah. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Like, not because I have some motive of I need to recruit you to my church right. or I want to check off a list on my, like, how many souls did you win this week, yeah. Joel? Like, I didn't win any souls. But this person got really happy when I told you about him. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, and that's been a shift. Because it was, at, at a different point in my life, it was checking off on a list. It was trying to recruit somebody to church or yeah. get them to say something. And I know that that was how it was perceived, too. I know that people saw that, and it was very unattractive. I remember having a conversation with my friend Stephanie about this, like, because we were friends, and then our relationship was kind of rough, and we became friends again because I remember going out for coffee with her mm-hmm. and talking with her about that stuff and saying, like, hey, I'm sorry if I, if I kind of seemed like I was just trying to, 
um, like recruited church or something. Or mm. I don't know what what was I used. And I remember her saying, "Yeah, that did kind of hurt. It felt like you were just trying to convert me." Uh-huh. And I was like, "Holy cow! That is what I was trying to do." Yeah, that's what I thought it was, and I missed out on just loving this person and getting to know this person which at the end of the day is what affects them is what actually makes them want what you have what i have is just a relationship with this person who somehow has changed everything in my life Mm -hmm. who somehow has made me feel free Mm -hmm. um why would i not want other people to meet this person yeah yeah yeah, and because it, it's interesting, you know, I feel like sometimes that being kind of blunt and honest and more evangelical is effective in certain contexts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's <laughs> technically what a lot of the, that's what technical Paul and, and the disciples did a lot. You know, they yeah. went around town and town and just straight up told people, mm-hmm. this is how it is. <laughs> This is what you should believe, and it was effective. Um, but I feel like, also, at least in a lot of contexts in in the culture we live in in the United States of America, mm-hmm. um, that approach would be very much not effective yeah, in, I agree. in a lot of contexts. Mm-hmm. And um, I think because of a lot of things, it could be a million reasons why. You know, maybe emotional baggage, maybe pride, maybe I don't know. Name it. It's a possibility. Yep. And I hear what you were saying before. I want it to be to my identity in Jesus, the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus, not be so much taken like I'm trying to recruit you, like you were saying, but but be like, it'd be so natural that it's like me telling you my favorite um, flavor of ice cream. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, my name is Devar, blah, 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 all these, all these things. My favorite, you know, ice cream is Rocky Road, and I like to put ketchup on it, you know. Is that true? No, it's not. <laughs> but but I, I want it to be, you know, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that's an interesting fact. Tell me more about why you want to put ketchup on ice cream. That sounds like a terrible idea. I'm like, great. Yeah, you know, the, the city, the ketchup mixes with the sweetness of the blah, blah, blah. And you need, a, you need you know, saltiness and sweetness together is considered one of the best combinations of tastes known to man. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I'm making all that up, by it the way. It sounds like you've already <laughs> thought about this. <laughs> I made all that up. That might be true. Sounds true. <laughs> um, Your logical ju- brain just started forming connections <laughs> without even trying. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I mean, and I, I kind of want it to be like that. It's mm-hmm. just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Your favorite flavor of ice cream is chocolate chip. Cool. Tell me more about it. why is it your favorite? Like, oh, this is why. Um, and that to me feels a lot more natural and a lot, uh, a lot better than just sitting down. Do you believe in God? No, you need to. Come follow me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's like, no, who are you? You know, <laughs> you don't yeah. know what I need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. And but it's it's a balance, and I feel like it's so easy as believers as well to also just not engage with people um, about any of that, mm-hmm. and it's so easy for us to coast um, and just to be content with just yeah. You know, I'm nice to everyone. They know I'm nice, but 
that's all right. Yeah, and that's that's all they really need to know. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to be pushy or whatever. Or they or they keep their their relationship with Jesus just kind of that unspoken thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like that private thing that no one needs to know about. And uh, I also don't want to do that because, yeah, I I feel like a huge portion of my life uh, was affected by this being called Jesus. And just like seeing a flying elephant or winning the lottery, you can't help but want to tell you to tell people. And sometimes I wonder why 90% of the time I don't feel that compulsion. And what does that say about me and my faith um, and my beliefs? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, is it genuine? You know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, these are, these are sometimes these are thoughts that roll around in my brain. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, why am I so afraid of man? You know, why do I, why am I so afraid of what people think about me? Uh, what my coworkers think, what the random stranger at the coffee shop thinks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, so I've, I've begun to try to normalize that whenever I meet someone new, um, to kind of just throw out my Christian feelers just to see how they take it without mm-hmm. being overtly like, you should believe this. Um, so I would generally say, yeah, you know, my name is Devar. I grew up as a, you know, MK from Indonesia, moved to Texas, and my parents are missionaries. And it's very just, like, it's it's true, one, mm-hmm. and it's very much, like, underpowering, so to speak, because it's like, this is who I am. And and usually, I can get a, base off of even just that sentence, I can, I can get a feel of what people think about God just by how they react to the fact that I'm a missionary kid mm-hmm. or my parents are missionaries. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is kind of interesting, and then I could kind of just shift. But those are like, I'm starting to do these simple things to, to try to normalize, like not treat God as like this taboo topic I should never talk about, but just to just truly just talk about him like he's like just part of my everyday life, which he is, you know? Yeah. And just normalize him from that aspect. Um, and also not to try to, get anything from someone but to also just trying to leave the door open i guess yeah to be like this here you go (laughs) yeah it's a little bit more information than what you would normally probably get from someone but you know it could also jumpstart other conversation and sometimes not yeah yeah it's not about winning someone over so that you can say you succeeded at something or or Mm-hmm. There's a million different things you could call it. It's more like I've been thinking of this image in my head of I'm of again a garden. Like I'm if I'm in a garden and I'm totally at peace and I'm naked and I'm totally fine with that. Uh-huh. And my God's with me. And I'm just full of joy and freedom and peace. And everything about the garden I see, I'm like, man, this is awesome. Uh-huh. Anybody who walks by and looks in that garden should be like looks really nice. Uh-huh. I'm kind of stressed and worried about a lot of stuff, and I'm really rushed. I don't have much time to look at this garden right now, but why is he so happy? Yeah. I, I would, I'm not trying to get them into the garden so I can say I got them into the garden, uh-huh. but I'm probably looking at them, or I should be looking at them and be like, man, they look stressed and worried, and look at all this good that I have. I wish 
I wish they could have that too. Yeah. Yeah. And and I I wish there that that was seen with my life without verbally communicating it. Of course it's not always going to be and I have to take steps to right to talk about it. Right. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's worth talking about. It is. It is. And it's worth struggling with too. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like the question of does God exist or why do we need a God? Those are good questions to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's like, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's let's dialogue about that. I feel like that's important, you know. Yes. <laughs> There's not a question you can ask that I'm intimidated by at this point. Right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh and so I don't know, like I said, there's, a, I guess there is a time and place to be perfectly bluntly honest with someone mm-hmm. or, you know, to get on the pulpit, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, but most of the times I feel like it's usually the, the most effective way, at least, at least in this context, in, in, in our society today, you know, um, it, it, it has to be, I don't know, um, What's the, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess what, what you were talking about. Um, I've just gone blank. <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be relationship there. Right, yeah. I don't know if that's the word that you're thinking of, but the concept, I think, is there. Right, yeah. There, there has to be a reason why the other person wants to be open. Yeah. Um, be willing to be transparent and hopefully maybe even a little bit of vulnerability. <laughs> yeah. Um, because these are important questions to ask and, and not even so that, you know, you can become a Christian per se, but the questions that the Bible addresses or the questions that uh, we are addressing are very important questions to have and very common questions and uh, a lot of times people just cast them aside or stuff it in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. It, it's definitely more important to try to unpack some of those questions than it is to get that bonus or that yes. promotion. Yeah. Or to have the next iPhone. I yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, because you you mentioning something that, I think is not talked about enough saying how in our context um, the way you go about telling people about Jesus may need to be different than it is in other contexts. Mm -hmm. I think that's something that's not, it's kind of brushed aside or just forgotten about Mm -hmm. because we read the Bible we see, okay, well, Paul did it this way. Mm-hmm. I guess I have to do it this way. Yeah. I guess you have to do it this way. <laughs> and I want to step back and be like, wait a minute, wait. Paul lived in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago among people who were literally going to temples to sacrifice things to their gods mm-hmm. on a regular basis. Who were going to the shrine to have sex with the shrine prostitute so that they could have a healthy child because right. if they didn't then Moloch would kill the baby or something. Like 
the context is different and the way people the experiences people have with god and what that word means to them is very different, different yeah. in our context right. we are two thousand years later where if you say to somebody yeah the world was made in seven days they're like man i'm kind of i'm gonna walk over here now mm-hmm. because i know what kind of person you are and i don't want to have this conversation right because we're not bothering to ask the question how do we continue to move forward and meet the world and the people in it where they are and grow um because maybe the person i'm talking to isn't like a first century roman who has slaves and various mistresses and <laughs> like uh-huh. worships 15 different gods already yeah. maybe they've only interacted with one religion and it left a sour taste in their mouth and it's christianity and i'm walking into the situation just like all of those other christians who they interacted with did Maybe that's the context I'm in. And I just don't think that's talked about. Mm-hmm. Often people seem to assume the best way to evangelize, to use Christianese, is to stand in a box and yell at all the people crossing by on the street mm-hmm. that Jesus is the only way. Or to put up a billboard that says, right. Jesus is the way to heaven. You know? Yeah, call this number. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and it's uh, it's white Jesus. Yes, and it's there, white yeah. Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> oh, perfect man. locks that's, and a great beard. Oh, that's so incredibly annoying to me. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, please, if if you're a Christian, just pause a little bit and think about the context in which you're ministering to people. Because, man, if you live in this country, you there's almost zero chance you have not interacted with Christians. There's almost no chance you've not had any exposure to Christianity as a religion. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, like I have a passion for people who have been raised in this culture and have never encountered the God that I know, even though they've been told about him lots of times. Mm-hmm. Um that just sucks to me. Like, mm-hmm. if you have however many million people talking about someone, and the truth of that person is that they're the most wonderful person in the whole world, you would think that all the people they're talking to would be attracted to this person. Mm-hmm. That would just logically follow. You know, I think Shakespeare said truth will out. Like there's, there is just this tendency in the universe that what is really true becomes known. Mm-hmm. And if you have all these people who know that truth, should our lives not give evidence to it? Should people not be attracted to it? That was a rant. It's <laughs> like an official rant right there. But that that that's something that's. What do you think of <laughs> context? 
in evangelism. Yeah. So I guess to summarize what you were saying, uh, you should think that you know, some truths are inherently known. Is that what you were talking about? And Or not inherently known, inherently felt, maybe is the word? I don't know. But I want to know what you're getting at. Okay, because <laughs> that's what I was. Because I was going to ask you about that of what you really what what you what you meant by that in, in terms of you know you'd want people to to they would, they'd intuitively be attracted to you based off of your demeanor because your actions um, were hinting at a ingrained truth that that other person knew to be true. Is that what you're kind of saying? I, I guess so. Without, I guess I wasn't necessarily using the word truth in there, but because um, I was trying to like not use <laughs> the Christianese stuff. Yeah. I just think if you if you are shaped, if everything about your life is shaped by this other person, mm-hmm. and everything about this other person is just wonderful. Mm-hmm. People are going to be attracted to you, and gotcha because of those things gotcha. that are a part of that other person. Gotcha. Yeah, because you exhibit those same qualities. Yeah, you're exhibiting those qualities. Gotcha. I serve the God who is love, and who is tender and empathetic, and and just unceasingly kind and gracious and beautiful and joyful. Mm-hmm. I sh- those are attributes that should then embody me, right? Like yeah. if 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 people if people see me and they don't see any of those things, then they're probably just not there, right? I think. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah if you don't genuinely exude those things, it's like, well, are you genuinely following, or is yeah, it genuinely impacting? impacting you yeah 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 not to say that if you believe in god that means right all of a sudden everything you're just gonna radiate light or that (laughs) if you don't radiate light now i'm saying you don't believe god not that at all yeah um just kind of pointing out the fact that we live in a quote christian nation um and yet, you seem, I seem to have met a lot of people who don't like Christians. Mm-hmm. That's strange, because I feel like if you meet Christ, yeah. um, you're going to like him. Right, right. <laughs> Probably. Like, I think Gandhi said, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people equate Christians with christ so you meet a christian and he's trash you're probably well your god's probably trash too you know right yeah um i think i guess gandhi probably had the wisdom to recognize there was a distinction there uh yeah no i yeah i totally get where you're coming from and and yeah i agree i think it's definitely like it's it's one of those things like ultimately only God knows whether someone is genuinely a believer or not, you know, because mm-hmm. um, he could very much easily fake it too. <laughs> um, or, I don't know, I feel like 
human beings are created in the image of God. And so a lot of his characteristics are just kind of endued upon us. Like, for example, I met this um, uh, girl one time, um, super sweet, super sweet lady. She had alopecia. So like she was completely bald. Okay. And she didn't, mm-hmm. didn't grow hair. Yeah. And she was telling me one time that uh, she likes to, she's kind of like a, almost like a, a hippie, uh, how would you describe her? Just kind of like, I don't know, just a dandelion in the field, just kind of going about with the breeze, you know? Um, she was telling me one time that she, she went to go see a sunset somewhere, um, I think, and she stopped next to the road and was just kind of taking the sunset in. She's not a believer. I, I think at best she's an agnostic. She doesn't really believe in anything. Um, and people would come, and but she's very gentle. She's very sweet. Um, she's, she listens super great listener, um, very calming, soothing spirit. Um, she, she, I would say she radiates a lot of joy, at least from the outward appearance, uh, at least a lot of like contentment, peace. And she was telling me how people were coming to her, up to her. They also probably thought she was like a cancer patient because she doesn't have hair, Yeah. but they were coming to her and they were like, you just have so much peace. Are you a Christian? <laughs> um, and she'd have to tell him, like, no, no, I don't follow Jesus. I'm just kind of enjoying my life. And I thought that was really interesting um, for some reason how, how like random people, and she said that happened multiple times, wow. like random people coming to her, like, man, you have so much, like, like true peace and joy. Like, are you a Christian? Yeah. You know? She was like, nope, I don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and and that was really interesting to me because it's like, well, shoot. Um, on the one hand, it was kind of convicting because it's like if a non-believer can exude more Christ-like traits than mm-hmm. <laughs> me, because I've never been approached by random strangers <laughs> and asked if I was a follower of Jesus. That'd be kind of <laughs> uh, what does that say about me? Maybe, maybe you need to shave your head. <laughs> Yeah, and look at sunsets. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so so I thought that was really interesting um, because it's like, at the end of the day, I was going somewhere with this. I feel like my whole brain has been erect tonight. I don't know if it's because there's a <laughs> mic in front of me that my brain's like, you better sound smart. When I'm having these conversations, <laughs> the same thing happens to me. <laughs> yeah. really does. Yeah. Um, I guess, I guess what I have to say about that is like, yeah, for sure. I think your actions, um, should genuinely be a reflection of, of that inner, the, the outer appearance hopefully is a reflection of that inner change, like a genuine reflection that you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You are reformed and renewed to put, to throw out more Christianese out there, um, that you've been changed from the inside out, um, and, and eventually your outward should reflect that interchange. Um, but, yeah, at the same time, like, where I struggle with is eventually I feel like there has to be, like, a vocal, you know. Um, I mean, if you, if you even, like, read what the apostles did or what Paul did, disciples, it wasn't just the fact that they were healing people left and right and that they were, like, good kind people that helps the needy and the poor they there had to be a vocal aspect uh to it Mm -hmm. and i think that vocal aspect 
will look different in different contexts and their yes. contexts. And going back to that question that you were, you asked me, and I think, you know, in the, in the context of Paul, a lot of them already had an innate sense and belief in the spiritual realm. For example, they were making sacrifices to their ancestors. They had, they believed in bunches, a bunch of gods. Yeah. You know? And a lot of the guys were horribly cruel and sadistic. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, they, Paul didn't have to come to them and, 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 and be, come from a place where, like, they did not believe in the spiritual. Because, like, oh, yeah, of course I believe in God. I just believe in lots of gods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course I believe in the spiritual realm. You know, why do you think I'm make, making this loaf of bread? It's for my great Aunt Maria. You know, <laughs> so I could have a harvest next year so I can make more bread. Anyway, mm-hmm. and and so so it makes sense then for Paul, to, in that context, his vocal announcement was a lot more, like, in your face and direct. Like you believe in these things, and I believe we're coming from the same context. This is why your con- this is why your God is wrong, in all these ways. You need to believe in this God for all these things, um, and uh, yeah. And I feel I believe I feel like in in our con in, in certain places around the world, I feel like you can still you can you can kind of be that vocal. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like for the majority of places in America, though, um, that. It, it, the context is a lot different from from that that period of time um, when those verses were written. Um, I feel like, for example, this culture is a lot different. You know, Western culture has really you know taken a hold of like, for example, the scientific method. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't measure it, test it, analyze it, see it, touch it, smell it, taste it. Um, then it doesn't exist. You know. And that's kind of been ingrained and hammered into our brains, even as young children, you know, growing up in this education system. And I'm not saying that's wrong, um, but I'm saying, you know, that mixed in with emotional baggage, mixed in with hurts and wounds, mixed in with pride, uh, mixed in with X, Y, and Z, all, the whole concoction um, turns it into a people group that operates basically the vast majority of the way Americans operate, you know? And so in that regard, you know, you can't just walk up to an American and say, or to a, you know, a random, most random people that you meet and say, you know, Hey, you know, you need to believe in the supernatural. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Why? My life's good. I'm American. Like I go home with this food in the fridge, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, Hey, you need God. Like, no, I don't. You know, I got, yeah. You see that Ferrari? That's mine. Yeah. Um, I don't need anyone. Yeah, I did this all myself, and, mm-hmm. and it's like, um, and so you can't just you can't just go about in most conversations like that. Maybe some, yeah, you can, um, but for the mass, vast majority, it isn't. With that said, you know, just kind of like what Solomon has said, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. The base foundation, like the base, I feel like a first century Roman and a twenty first century hipster that goes to the university of arkansas foundationally though their needs and wants and hurts has not changed Mm -hmm. i agree um at the end of the day they want to feel heard they want to feel known they want to feel loved at the end of the day they struggle with the same base questions why am i here where am i going what is the purpose of this all of it all um they both a first century roman and a 21st century kid probably had some probably had a lot of pain in their life or, or one or two really monumental moments in their life that steered him to one path or another 
Um, and, and, and at the end of the day, I feel like that's why the Bible is relevant, just as relevant today as it was in first century Rome. Yeah, those um, are the questions it's trying to answer. Right, we're asking. It, right, it, it is about the human condition, mm-hmm. and and it tries to answer questions about that the the human condition, and then gives um, a response or a solution. Um, ultimately, ultimately, in in the death and resurrection of Jesus, um, to to the problem of the human condition, of all those questions. Um, and, and that hasn't changed. But, uh, yeah, I feel like if you try to employ those Pauline tactics to much of America, you probably wouldn't get very far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's like, but at the same time, I, I, some people think you need, the, you need to do, you, know, you need to evangelize that way. If you're not doing that, you're really not doing it the way you're supposed to do it. And it's like, well... <laughs> You know, is that really true? Because I don't, I don't think so. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's. I guess that's kind of what I think about context. <laughs> yeah, I think you answered that way better than I did. <laughs> Yours was much more articulate and more like an answer to a question, and mine was kind of just a rant. <laughs> I no, do that I, a lot. Yeah. No, I think. Yeah, I. I don't. I don't. Where was I going with this? <laughs> My brain had like a slight moment of clarity and then it's back to just like <laughs> fogginess. <laughs> um, but, but no, I appreciated what you said um, because especially when you, when you clarified it, I think I was like, oh, okay, I see. I see thought he was crazy, but no, no, he's right. <laughs> <laughs> No, not at all. Um, well, we're, we are getting, like we're not, we're getting less south of three hours. Yes, that's true. So we need to wind up, probably. I guess so. Okay. All right. How do how do you usually wind those down? (laughs) I mean, we can just jump right into the last couple things, I guess. Okay. Well, uh, there are a few questions I like to ask people. One is, for for your sake, for like your own benefit, I guess you could say, what's something you wish everybody knew about you? Huh. Never thought about this question before. What a weird cut to right into that. Right. We spent the first two and a half hours pretty much talking about all that. <laughs> and I was just, all right, question time. Oh, uh, man, what do I want people to know about me? Huh. Oh, I'm thinking. <laughs> I want to give, like, a very genuine answer. Yeah. You know you can hear the shoe squeak. (laughs) (laughs) Those are my leather boots, by the way, if you guys can hear that. Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind, and I don't quite know why this is the first thing that comes to my mind, but I'm just going to say it because it's the first thing that came to my mind. Okay. Uh, I want them to know that I'm fragile. Um, yeah. I think. And again, I'm uh, still, I'm, I'm literally 
processing as I'm going. Um, I don't know why what that was the first word that popped into my brain. Um, but I think, you know, I've lived my whole life, or much of my life, building up walls and making them stronger, putting putting on masks and making them look more perfect, um, worrying about what other people say, and um, I don't know, overall just kind of, overall just feeling like I needed to be stronger or someone else, someone else that looks stronger. Um, I, I was a daydreamer growing up, still am. I had a wild rampant imagination because that's the only place that felt safe. So, mm. and every, I would imagine living somewhere else and being someone else. And usually it's a big, strong superhero type figure that was beating up bad guys and getting a pretty lady and doing awesome kung fu moves or being just this striking person that people would just, you know, immediately be drawn to when I enter a room, you know, having awesome cool scars and tattoos. And that's usually like default. Like that's like the ideal Devar in my brain. Um, that is the ideal scenario. And at the end of the day though, I just, I just felt very fragile. Um, I felt like sometimes I feel like if, if my mom hugged me a little bit more in my younger years, I might be a completely different person. Um, if she, if I was rather more nurtured, I guess, um, and instead of being forced to uh, be hardened um, and then f- thrown against the wall, <laughs> if I could at at the core just you know, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but yeah, that was the first that was the first hmm. word that came up to my mind. That's good. So then I'm I, I like to ask that question because I like other people to. I like to hear the answer, and I like other people to have the chance to know, keep that in mind, too. Because mm-hmm. you're not the only person walking around Northwest Arkansas who would answer fragile to that question. Mm-hmm. Like, there are a lot of people who we should be uh, gentle with. Yeah. And I, I want I want to remember that. And I'm more likely to remember it now, having heard that answer. And I want other people to think about that. Like maybe people, there's somebody listening who's like, wow, I've never considered that before interacting or responding to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, like, I, I also don't want, like, you to walk around like, you know, you're walking walking on eggshells. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, like, again, I have no idea why that word just automatically popped up in my brain. Um, But a lot of it had to do, I think a lot of it has to do with a lot of the rest, most restorative healing moments in my life is when I allowed myself to feel fragile. Hmm. Um, When I allowed myself, because I don't, I'm not, I'm not a crier. It's terribly hard for me to cry. 
Um, part of that is again the way that I was raised. Yeah, you know, yeah. You stuff your emotions. My mom didn't like crybabies. Mm-hmm. You know, she'd tell me, you know, big boys don't cry. Um, I feel like a lot of people get told that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and eventually, I suppressed enough emotions for long enough that I just don't cry. Um, I definitely have had moments, you know, in, in college where I just burst into tears. But even that, you know, I, I remember doing it in front of counselors uh, or, uh, and, and just breaking down in tears. And then when I would stop and they would ask me, wasn't that healing? I would say, no, that wasn't healing at all. I hate that. Like, I feel complete and absolute shame right now. Like, 0% healing, 0% restorative. Those were not restorative tears. <laughs> wow. And then they'd be like, oh, dude, let's talk about that. <laughs> um, and, and so I think a lot of the, my most healing moments was when I allowed myself to be fragile. Um, so... So yeah, so I guess it's not necessarily that I am fragile, mm-hmm. but it's a daily reminder that 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 it's it is okay to feel all the feels, and sometimes you know you don't need to articulate anything. You just need to sit there mm-hmm. and cry. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And feel free to to show that fragility. Yep. Because God sees it and He wants to be there in it. Mm-hmm. So. Nice. So I think that's why that word popped in my head. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I like it. We're approaching three hours. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, what is something we've talked a lot about hoot in this episode. So we're gonna we're gonna move in a positive direction too. What what's something in particular, if you can name something, that brings you a lot of joy? Brings me a lot of joy. Let's see. Nature. Yeah nature yeah there were moments in early on in my walk with christ where i thought i was going to again where i thought that god didn't exist and uh um dr gary vanderland's class uh, he is a super atheist incredibly smart one of the best teachers i ever had in my life um went to johns hopkins and i think harvard so um very smart guy um he taught uh, evolutionary biology and i thought for sure i was going to enter this class and leave an atheist like i I had already kind of like um given up my soul to the fact that i was going to leave here an atheist (laughs) i'm going to pause real quick to i it just clicked in my brain you said gary vanderlaan and i was like gary vanderlaan right i don't know who that is wait what he's an atheist but I realized I was thinking of Ray Vanderlaan. Oh, yeah. Ray Vanderlaan, no. Different person. Different, also brilliant. Yes. You should also listen to him. Don't think he went to Johns Hopkins or Harvard. Yeah, I don't but, know. Yeah, I loved his his uh, whole lecture series on reading the Bible from a Jewish Eastern context. I've not I've not listened to all of it. Um, have you listened to Bema? No, I have not listened to Bema. Bema. Okay, so the Bema podcast. Just How do you even spell that? B-E-M-A. B E. I'll send it to you. It's incredible. Okay. But he, the host of that, references Ray Vanderlaan quite a bit. Okay. Go yeah. ahead. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> no, Gary Vanderlaan. Vanderlaan. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, but yeah, but as I was learning, anyway, that's a long story. So I'm gonna cut this short. What brings me a lot of joy? Nature. You said. Yeah. Nature. Yeah. Because that really like, it, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, how can we be an accident? That's never made sense to me. We are so intricate. Mm-hmm. Um, up down to a atomic level, we are intricate. 
Yep. How a neutron spins around, or a proton, an electron spins around a neutron, it, like blows my mind. Like, why would it do that? <laughs> <laughs> why? Why? Yeah. No, that's amazing. Um. Yeah. Everything about nature. I've I've never felt so in awe, um, and so close to the creator than when I am in nature. Um. I remember feeling it when hiking Yosemite. Um, even driving west to go to Yosemite, you know, passing the Rockies, um, the hills of Montana, um, the Grand Canyon, obviously Yosemite, um, um, you know, Olympic National Park up in Washington State, uh, and then all across the world, you know, uh, I've been I've been privileged enough to see so many amazing displays of nature, I and mean, even in our own backyard, you know, how there's certain seeds that are just the right they're 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 shaped just the right way that a single gust of wind can can allow it to fly 10 miles or 100 miles i forgot what the number was um to land on on another tree and sprout another tree you know it's it's amazing like Mm -hmm. the the amount of just detail attention to detail and it's all screaming glory to god i mean even the word says that, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, they're all just shouting praises to to their creator, um, and it's awesome to see. Um, yeah, yeah. So that brings me a lot of joy. Nice. Yeah. Get out in nature. Go take a walk in the woods, folks. <laughs> Not right now. If you're listening to this real time, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's like 15 degrees outside right now yeah, in it's Arkansas. Supposed to be negative next week too. Oh, I'm really. I'm. I'm I try to be very okay with whatever the weather is, but I yeah. I want it to be warm again. Yep, yep. Yeah. Very I spoiled. Like the cold weather. I don't know why. I don't. Yeah. yeah. Like, I've been I get cold really easily. <laughs> I don't have any meat on my bones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think my thing is you can always put on another layer. That's what somebody was saying today at work, and I'm what? like, "No, but I can take off as many layers as I want." <laughs> <laughs> but it gets to a point where you take off enough layers and you can't really go out there in public, not yet at least. Yeah, but I'm okay being sweaty. Yeah, one of my friends said, you know, with heat, you you get uncomfortable, but it's not painful. Right. With cold, it's painful. Yes, and potentially deadly. Right. Extreme heat, yeah. At a certain point, point, it's also deadly, but... Yeah, but coldness will kill you faster, I think. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It gets hot (laughs) enough. Anyway, anyway. (laughs) Okay. Okay, other question. Oh, well, we'll do, we'll do uh, a recommendation and then something that makes you laugh. So what's your recommendation? It can be anything. Okay, any recommend? Yeah, anything. you can recommend fanny packs. You can recommend <laughs> oranges, like just something packs. that you think the, the listeners should know about. You can recommend music, anything. Anything, oh. Pressure's on now. It better it be good. On. Yeah, this is, this is it. This is my lasting impression. Um... Some people will only listen to this part of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let's see. Huh. I highly recommend a fruit called durian. Really? You can get them at your local Asian supermarket. Literally is, any Asian supermarket. I have yet to go to a single Asian supermarket here that does not carry durian. Is this the dead fruit? The de- So it smells like rotting flesh. Yeah. But that's only... So the trick with durian is you freeze it. When okay. it's frozen, the, the aroma is not as pungent. I personally like the aroma. But 
to a lot of people um, that have not acquired this taste yet, it does either smell like um, um, sulfur, you know, like when you walk climb up a volcano. It smells like farts. I don't know. But oh. I've never. Okay, yeah. No, it smells it. like farts and butthole. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so some people say it smells like that, and some people say it smells like rotting flesh. Okay. I think it smells great. But if you freeze it um, before you eat it, uh, because it's frozen, it, it's not as pungent. Yeah. What yeah. what what is the taste comparable to? Can you compare it to anything? Any other fruit? Is it similar to? Or? No. So is in, it sweet in, or sour? Or? It is is definitely sweet. It also has very high natural alcohol content. Really? Okay. So it has a slight. I say slight. It has fairly strong alcoholic taste to it, actually. Um, huh. But if you eat it frozen, it tastes like it has a consistency of ice cream, because in its normal form, unfrozen form, it has a consistency. It's it's very fleshy, uh-huh. almost custardy um <laughs> it, it it has a very it has a firm you know it comes in like so it comes in a spiky it's a big spiky ball have you seen yeah yeah i think i've seen them yeah you've seen you've seen them yeah I you open so. them up and there's like a yellow custardy like um Flesh. pods <laughs> yeah which has it, it kind of yeah it has a I just, of, it, what, of whatever food i right. call that the flesh inside. it melts in your yeah. mouth and it's definitely custardy when you put it in your mouth but it's delicious and wow. I would highly recommend it. And people actually probably hate me because it is an acquired taste. Um, Man, uh, I'm going to need to try one now, though. <laughs> um, I also uh, recommend uh, Beautiful Eulogy, which is a uh, one of my favorite artists. Um, I, I've listened to that artist, I believe. Really? I think I, so. I also... Uh, oh, I forgot, now I forgot his name. Never mind. It's okay. You're only really supposed to do one recommendation. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. Um, What's better, beautiful eulogy or durian? <laughs> durian, for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, All I also right. recommend chapter eight in Mere Christianity. It is a chapter on pride, and it it is a probably still the best chapter on pride I've ever read. Okay, that's it. Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis, chapter eight. Okay. But all the chapters are good. Yeah. I, I never got very far in that book, actually. Oh, really? I claim to be a huge C.S. Lewis fan. I think, <laughs> he, is, I think he was just a, an, an absolute genius. But I haven't I haven't read that That's much okay. of him. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> okay. What's something that makes you laugh? What's something funny? This can be like something that happened to you recently or just a joke you have or something. Oh, I like God. to end on a laugh. We've done a lot of that in this episode, I think. I don't think anything will top that first kiss story. <laughs> well, it is a story though, and it's kind of long, so I don't know if you want me to share it. But it is. Yeah, funny. you can go with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. It is. It is long though. I feel like. How long? Like, like eight minutes long? Okay, we could try to. We could try to do it fast. <laughs> um. Actually, I feel like I don't know. I have to be kind of in the mood okay. to share this story. I don't yeah. know if it's gonna have the same effect if I'm not like completely in the mood. Hmm. You do you, man. That's true. I will do me. Yeah. <laughs> but you have to have something funny. <laughs> um, Which I I feel like this is the question that puts people on the spot the most, honestly, because it's how every episode ends with laughter. Uh huh. And now <laughs> it's like I got it. I have to. Get, there's gotta be something funny. <laughs> which i mean i can cut it at any point 
I mean, look at all that laughter. Well, well, okay. So real quick, I got what seven minutes? If I could tell in seven minutes. Um, so one of my first jobs was in community college. I worked as a lab assistant, helping the chem- chemistry department set up their experiments. Well, uh, I was not the only one to work in this lab. There were other students working in it, and one of those students, her name was Samaya, and Samaya uh, is from Pakistan, and she comes from you know, uh, I would say probably per- fairly conservative. Uh, Muslim family, you know, she wore the, uh, I think, is it the hijab? It wasn't like the full body, mm-hmm. but just the the scarf. Yeah. Yeah. She, you know, she seemed like she came from a conservative Muslim family. Um, was very modest, all that stuff. Super nice. Uh, super extroverted. You know, she'd always talk to you. She'd give you great eye contact, you know. <laughs> uh, always liked to make you laugh. Had a great sense of humor. She was great. Loved to work with her. Um, anyway, one afternoon, it was just... Uh, myself and Samaya in the lab preparing you know, the experiments um, for the next class. And we, the, the chemistry department was housed in the science building, and the science building was the newest addition to um, Richland College in Dallas. And it was considered a green building because uh, it ran on like the same central heating and cooling system or something. So if it's it was cold. It was always going to be cold throughout the building, and you couldn't control it. Hmm. Apparently, that saves energy or something. Yeah. Anyway, they always kept the science lab prep area frigid cold. Frigid cold, sub-zero temps sometimes is what it felt like. It, it definitely wasn't sub-zero, obviously, okay. but it okay. felt that way. So cold. And even <laughs> in the dead of summer, when you're definitely not going to bring a jacket because it's Texas in, yeah. in the middle of summer... You always had to bring a sweater or a jacket of some sort because it was frigid cold in the prep area. Wow. Anyway, that day, I did not bring a joke, coat, coat or jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't bring a joke. Um, it's not going to be funny. Anyway, um, and I was preparing my solution, right? And I was freezing. I was, it took me probably an hour to, to finish the thing, and I was cold the entire time. And you know when you get so cold that everything just kind of becomes numb? Yeah, it's like you mm-hmm. pseudo get accustomed to the environment, but you're just really just cold all over, and the blood is leaving your extremities and going to your core. Anyway, um, that's what I was hap- was happening, and so I was finishing up my solution. And the rule is because you're handing a lot of um, acidic, highly acidic stuff. At that time, I was I needed to wash my um, um, beakers and stuff right away, you know, before before leaving. And so I turned to. There's only one washing station at that time. And Samaya was already there uh, washing her glassware because she was already done. And so it was the, the sink was big enough for two people to stand side, side by side. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to stand next to her and wash my glassware. And so I did. And like I said, I was freezing cold for the last hour. And in this sub-zero is what it felt like temps in the lab prep area. And I stand next to Samaya. And right away, the, the, the heat wave emanating from her body like hits me like all at once and i was not prepared for it you know because uh, i was just in freezing temps for the past hour i was in short sleeves you know and it just hits my body almost like a bus and i literally dropped my glassware in the sink and i turned to her i was like samaya <laughs> and like she turns to me it's like yes oh my gosh i didn't realize this before but you are so hot. <laughs> and again, you, this is a conservative, very modest girl from a conservative Muslim family from Pakistan. 
<laughs> who probably never in her life got told by this by anyone, let alone someone of the opposite sex. And I was directly looking at her, like super excited, wide-eyed. I was like, oh my gosh, you are so hot. <laughs> and she goes, and like her face like drops. Like she looked like it went from, it went from like curiousness and excitement to like almost sheer horror. <laughs> and I thought, and I didn't realize what I had told this poor girl because I was still shocked. That someone's body heat can can hit you that hard, because it hit me like a shockwave, and so I I didn't realize what I was saying. So obviously she looks now she looks petrified, and I wanted to, you know, uh, diffuse the situation. Yeah. Because um, I thought I had offended this girl because I told her her body heat was was really hot. <laughs> so I was like, no, no 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 no, it's totally okay. It's totally okay. It's not you. It's me. <laughs> and I was like and I told her it's just I was cold before and, and now I'm just warm all over <laughs> and this is totally fine like I wasn't I wasn't just I wasn't ready for it <laughs> and and then Samaya she turns away from me she's like okay Dodar and she like just st- proceeds to like vigorously wash her beaker she's no longer giving me eye contact she's no longer talking to me and it's just dead silence, just a wall of silence between between us. And I'm like, okay, shoot. I somehow managed to offend this girl. <laughs> and so I then wash my start washing my beakers in silence. And so there's just dead silence between us. Just awkward dead silence. And finally, I think back on all the things that I've said to Samaya, <laughs> figuring out where the heck it all went wrong. Like, I guess it's maybe inappropriate to tell someone their body heat is like super powerful. But that's when I realized, holy crap, the very first thing I said to this poor girl is how hot she was. <laughs> and I told her that it was okay. <laughs> and everything you said after that did not diffuse it the didn't, situation. It did not, exactly. And that's when It was I, very ambiguous. I, and I, that's when I immediately turned to Smile. I'm like, Smile, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I meant the, the body heat coming off your body hit me, and I was really cold. And that's, that's, that's why I said that you were hot. <laughs> and, 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 uh, like a wave of relief, like just, yeah. just descends upon her face. And she was like, oh, I mean, that still we- is weird for you to say, <laughs> but that is okay. Thanks for, thanks for telling me that. And, uh, yeah. And so that, that's my funny story Wow, where I told Samaya, that she was hot. <laughs> I don't know if that's funnier than the first kiss, but they're, they're, they're both up there. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's all I got. All right. And, oh, crap. It's just, no. Okay. That's we'll okay. That. We'll that's cut the beginning anyway, so. That's true. Yeah. Well, all right. Well, okay. thanks for uh, letting me be on your podcast. Yeah. It's- I feel like I should also tell people to, like, subscribe. <laughs> Listen to other episodes and tell all your friends. <laughs> And if you want to be on the show, which I mentioned this in the intro too, but I want to have more people on here. So tell your friends and you can come on and have this conversation and talk about your first kiss. Yeah. <laughs> and and also uh, about the rest of your life. Yeah. His darkest secrets. Yeah. We're going to share them with the internet. Yeah. Yeah.
Also, if you'd like to sponsor us, that'd be great. Well, not us. It's <laughs> the only time that I'll ever be on here. If you'd like to sponsor Joel. <laughs> It's <laughs> now the Joel and Devar podcast. <laughs> um, but yes, feel free to do so. Give him all your money. <laughs>